0: Hello, I'm Stephen Hilger. I am Brendan Bigley. The reason this has a more formal introduction is that this episode used to be on our Patreon as a Patreon exclusive, um, but pretty immediately we got some feedback from people saying like, this should be on the main feed, which we gave some thought to and we kind of decided to keep it on the Patreons because like our original idea was to have this episode as a companion piece. Every now and then we will do a bonus and then we'll do like a patron bonus as sort of like an optional side to that episode. So when we did God of War, we had a patron bonus all about Norse mythology, which is sort of like, here's a nice to have if you want more related to this. Yeah, And the Patreon is is continuously an experimental place, but the episode that you're about to listen to is largely all about the history of the Dreamcast sort of the the years between 1998 and 2001, where Sega was at, where the state of games were at. And it's largely guided by our good friend, Chris Plant of the Besties of Polygon, who showed up with this doctrine of like, things you need to know before you play the Dreamcast he'd been hyping that up prior to the recording and we're like, okay, this will be funny. This will be you know, interesting. But it, he was not kidding. I really do think you need to know those things. Yeah. And yeah. talking about the Dreamcast without the context of when it came out is sort of like reading certain authors and not knowing about their lives. You know, mm. it's a little like, I do think the more we kind of thought about it, the more we realized that like this episode kind of needs to exist alongside the premiere where we talk more specifically about all the games for the console and our experience with it. And we did a poll with the Patreon just to kind of see like if people were comfortable with us taking what was once you know behind a paywall and releasing it to everyone. And I have never, at least in our experience, we have never done a poll. <laughs> this might just gotten... be unprecedented on the internet in general. Yeah, like statistically <laughs> impossible to get... <laughs> all yeses and we we actually did like if this was an election in the u.s at least it would have won for yes because more than half of the patrons voted yes yes and everyone was just like really really kind like They could have just said yes and left it at that. But everyone was like, we want this to be shared. It seems like people are supporting the space because they want to support us and not necessarily have like content, quote unquote, Um, (laughs) which is nice. But I mean, that being said, we still want to make sure there's like rewards for people who are able to back the show. Right. Um, So this this will probably not be common just to kind of like set expectations. I don't think, you know, we'll, we'll kind of treat every situation uniquely. But in this case, we just felt like it was the right move to release it to everybody. So
1: yeah, I remember even as soon as we were done recording the episode thinking like this might be one of the best episodes of this podcast we've ever made. And it feels weird to have it behind a paywall. (laughs) I'm, I'm glad I'm glad this is where we've netted out, because I think even going into recording the season premiere all about all of the games for the Dreamcast, we had this kind of aha moment right before we sat down to do that. That was like. We should not need to rehash all of that information that Chris Plant lovingly, you know, just laid in front of us on that episode. We should give that to everybody. Uh, So I'm glad I'm I'm really glad we're doing this. Me
0: too. Yeah. So basically, just for a little bit more context of what the episode is, we recorded this episode back in like March and it was right at the very beginning of our preparation process. So I think it it will be fun to hear where we're at before we had seen the truth of the Dreamcast, which you'll hear on August 2nd. But yeah, I really hope you enjoy it. I hope we didn't hype it up too much, uh, but it is an episode. I think both this is going to be the really best episode of. of a podcast you've <laughs> ever heard in your entire life. Also, huge thanks to our extremely generous patrons in in more ways than one. One, you know, backing the show financially, and also being comfortable with us doing this. Just huge thanks to all of you. And if you are interested in backing us uh, on Patreon, we really appreciate it. We are thankfully at a point now where most of the cost of the show is covered. It took a while to get there, and it also lets us save up so that we have. Like, like a nest egg to do stuff like buying modded dreamcast for this episode or, you know, saving up for just to kind of do more ambitious things for the show it helps us grow. So if you're able to support us there, we really, really appreciate it. Um, if you back us for a dollar, you'll get access to everything we released prior to, and including the three DS pretty much every patron episode through the year 2022 is released on there so like our first two years of of patreon episodes um, if you back us for five dollars you get all the new episodes and also our mini show any percent where we give ourselves 10 minutes to address a topic or question and it cuts out at 10 minutes no matter what we've actually gotten pretty good at like hitting that time limit but yeah it's that funny started we as
1: a bit because i think we generally go long like even this in short intro segment <laughs> is going long uh yeah and yet we've gotten pretty good at uh covering a topic in 10 minutes or less.
0: And uh, for $10, first of all, thank you for even considering that. But for $10, you'll get a shout-out in the show notes. Optional, if you don't want it, that's cool, too. Just let us know. And eventually, when we finally have our merch store, you will get some kind of discount for that as well. But for now, it really is the shout-out and our sincere gratitude. So... That's, I think, that's it. Uh, that's all I got.
1: <laughs> that's all, all I got, I too. To say. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much uh, for listening. We will be back next week, one week from today, August 2nd, with our Dreamcast season premiere. Really excited for you to hear that. Uh, but for now, Stephen and I are still on a break. So we're going to go, like, watch movies, read books, look at the Hang sky. Out, yeah. go
0: outside, dream about Sonic
1: Adventure. See what a leaf uh, yeah. tastes like. Have you ever tasted a leaf?
0: <laughs> okay, bye-bye. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to this very special patron bonus episode of Into the Aether. It is usually a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. Oh, and my name is Christopher Plant. I'm, I'm here to ruin the vibes. <laughs> uh,
2: you you've noticed how awkward that felt, where you didn't know what was going? I hope you're ready for at least three and a half hours that, <laughs> baby.
0: The thing is that you, you've come to this episode so prepared, I was fully expecting like a tuxedo mask level introduction from you so i think i think the vibes are only going to get better from here
2: oh yeah 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 i i do have all eight pages of notes (laughs) oh my god that do have citations and that i have reviewed with aj in advance
0: yeah (laughs) ready to go you you've been taunting us for weeks basically saying Uh aj and i have a surprise for you and in the lead up to this recording session You've been sending us pictures of the father from Evangelion staring at at Shinji, which I assume is a stand-in for Brendan and I. (laughs) You can call them threats. Here here,
2: here are two things I can promise. Yeah. I think our goof... Our, our Evangelion goof is going to take on a, Maybe a different meaning By oh, the end wow. of this episode Okay, And I think that there is a real chance That one of you if not both of you cries Before <laughs> the end of this episode And I can't say if it's a good cry or a bad cry <laughs> But I can I feel pretty confident that i'm going to make one of you cry <laughs> before the end of this episode
0: i'm just now seeing your plan with aj's a single text like hey is it cool if i make brendan and steven cry yeah go for it that's the, the <laughs> oh, whole
2: I, should i tell people
0: what this is do yeah you take please over? are you ready before you dive in i guess we just to sort of restate at least from our side i know you have sort of this master plan but i think from brendan and i's side obviously we've announced that Next season's premiere is going to be all about the Dreamcast and we thought it'd be fun to have an episode that's sort of like a lead up to that like a what is the best way to prepare to experience the Dreamcast in full. And we we had like kind of loose plans to do something Dreamcast related. Like we talked about like variations on this episode and and now we kind of landed on this. And I'm really excited to see what you have planned in terms of this discussion of like, how does one get into the Dreamcast in 2023?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we've been I feel like the three of us have been talking about how you need to. And by need to, I mean, I want you to do the Dreamcast <laughs> season episode for three years, yeah. <laughs> is that how long we've been talking about it? It's been a long time. because I, so. I know I've been disappointed at least twice. <laughs> where we're like, hey we're gonna do another one of those episodes i'm like oh yeah dreamcast right you're like yeah we talked about that and i'm like that doesn't make me feel any better yeah the (laughs) first
0: the the first one was game boy advance and that was actually a surprise that wasn't revealed until we shared it Um, and i think in that episode we were like we thought about the dreamcast which (laughs) yeah you did (laughs) we're gonna pay karmically for saying that i know um and then last season premiere was uh the ds and here we are now
2: and they you know, you were a growing podcast, and that That's those true. were the right choices because you wanted <laughs> to expand your audience. Sure. Uh, I think it's interesting now that you you ask, but what if we did the opposite? What if we did a <laughs> uh, we dedicated so much time and energy and blood, sweat and tears into something that everybody says they like, but practically nobody actually played. Yeah. You know, there's some real like Velvet Underground vibes going on here.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing like not to get too into like metrics, but I have noticed that for us, the episodes that tend to do very well are either things that are like already very popular, like Game Boy Advance, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Elden Ring, games that like are very much in the zeitgeist. And then on the flip side, games that so few people are talking about that we actually stand out in the crowd better, which... 13 Sentinels was, like, yeah. one of our earliest, yeah. like, big episodes because there was really no discussion about that game when it came out. So I, I feel like that we're in... That could be this. Yeah. Right, exactly. Because, like,
2: I, I we've talked about how on TikTok... Dreamcast is everywhere and like Gen Z especially I have coworkers who are like oh that's just like Jet Set Radio right? and I'm like oh yeah uh, have you played Jet Set Radio and they're like no but it's great and I'm like it's actually not like it's not very fun (laughs) you know the the art is killer the music is awesome the game is like it came out around the same time as Tony Hawk Pro Skater and never has a game suffered more
3: by comparison (laughs) I
0: would say the sequel got it right mechanically the future on the first Xbox I think is like platonic ideology Jet Set Radio and that's the tragedy is like a lot of the best Dreamcast games are accidentally Xbox games Mm -hmm. (laughs) because at some point in the production they basically just got like Microsoft swooped in and took all those different series that were going like Shenmue 2 Jet at Radio Two. We're both Xbox games.
2: Oh, this is a note to the listener. That is what we call um, setting a lantern so that we can remember it for later.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I'm so scared.
2: <laughs> so this is this is this is the episode. Welcome, welcome to Into the Aether, uh, a low key video game book club. Thanks for having us, Chris. Sure. Um, today we're going to talk about the ten things to know. Before your Dreamcast journey, you can tell that I work at a web page where I live and die based off of if people actually click it and read it. Um, Because what we're gonna go into is way more esoteric, but I'm trying to make it sound like you can put it on the tin and somebody. I ate every
0: kind of warhead, and I'm here to tell you.
1: And boy, am I sour. The mystery flavor is always black raspberry. (laughs) Yeah. Every candy that has a mystery flavor, the answer is always black raspberry. (laughs) Is black raspberry good? Yes. It is my favorite ice cream flavor easily. I liked it when I was a kid because it was purple. And then I grew up and uh, established like (laughs) more adult taste buds. And I still agree with my younger self i love when that
0: happens <laughs> yeah me too can't wait to do that about the dreamcast anyway sorry professor back to the back yeah. to the 10 things to do um, before we get into the 10 I, there is a question i need to know which
2: is what do you know about the sega saturn and for people who are not familiar with video game history the sega saturn is the system that comes between the sega genesis which really is the sega genesis the sega cd and the sega 32x because it kept getting additions right. rather than new console and then there was the Saturn. And then there is the Sega Dreamcast. So what what do you know about the, the ill-begotten Saturn? I now know exactly
0: that much about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know very little. I know it was disc-based, right? It was like one of the first disc systems? Or is that not okay. correct? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. It was disc that's
2: it that's that's it well okay so this is i'm glad i asked because to understand the dreamcast you have to know about the saturn Mm. because the dreamcast is is a reaction to the saturn in practically every way right so what happened with the sega saturn is sega pretty dominant in the u.s with the sega genesis right a thing people don't know though is like the genesis was not super popular in japan sega was like known as an arcade company Nintendo is absolutely dominant in Japan, despite, I think, like a lot of assumptions otherwise. So Sega sees that Nintendo, you know, is like getting a plan out for the Nintendo 64. They see Sony getting into the market and they're like, we need to be aggressive. Um, So they, uh, at the E3, where the Saturn and the PlayStation are being shown off, they're like, hey, guess what? The Sega Saturn cost $400 and it's at retailers right now. Whoa. You can go buy it right now, which is news to like most retailers (laughs) because they don't have it. (laughs) So there was a very limited supply. They shipped it to like a few partners, KB Toys and all these other, at the time, big places didn't get it. So they're like, Hey, very cool move. We're never going to stock Sega again. Wow. Wow. Thanks. And uh, EA, who is one of the, like, leading publishers, is like, uh, yeah, you didn't tell us about this. So now all of your games have a head
1: start. So, um we're not going to make games for you anymore wait even the publishers didn't know that the saturn was in development and coming they didn't get dev kits or anything well, they knew, no they they were making games everything was happening they thought that that the uh, the release date was like months
2: many months away oh wow so basically the, like everybody takes this as like a colossal slight and sega and trying to get ahead of everybody actually hurts itself worse <laughs> sony has a press conference right afterwards I can't remember the exact price but basically the press conference is the uh, Sony executive goes up to the podium
0: Sony Computer Entertainment President of America Steve Reyes,
1: join me for a brief presentation <clears throat>
3: 299
1: And that's it. It's
2: just like, oh, it's cheaper
1: (laughs) and it's better. That's weirdly very similar to the Xbox One and PS4 generation, right? Where where Xbox has their press conference and says, hey, you're going to have to have licenses to play all of your games and you can't share disc-based games. And then Sony releases that video, I think maybe 45 minutes later with the two executives just handing a disc from one person to another. And that was the ad for the PS4. (laughs) Brilliant. Incredible. Okay. Yep. That's very so, interesting. The weird thing, though, is Saturn is, like,
2: actually pretty popular in Japan. It's, like, the first Sega console that, like, really clicks. Oh, wow. And it could have maybe even, like, been dominant, except this little game called Final Fantasy 7 comes out. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's just, like, game over. They've yeah. blown all of the love in the U.S., they're, like, irrelevant in Japan, and it's straight to the drawing board. Wow. And, like, that's, I think, it's like, really crucial in understanding everything we're going to talk about. Yeah. Because All of that, every little bit of that is going to factor in to everything else we talk about for like the rest of the show.
0: Well, from what little like what I knew of like Sega history with the Dreamcast specifically, and I'm sure we'll get to this is like I definitely knew that the timing of the Dreamcast and then the timing of the PS2 and GameCube were were major elements in the Dreamcast not doing well commercially. Uh, I didn't realize it dated back this far that actually was even like the PS1 era was the beginning of the fall in some ways
2: and and that thing about the timing i i'm probably going to contradict all of that like i i think that is um i think the further we get from it the more that we see that it actually probably wasn't didn't have much to do with the timing at all mm. yeah for the for the dreamcast but i should dig into it the first thing that i'm going to talk about number 10 Wow. here we go baby first oh, thing man. we have to
1: do we're living in a Is a thing i've already 11. shared with you
2: cuz i want to make it like i wanted to keep it relaxing i shared a little um a little twitter link with you about Ryuichi sakamoto and I, I, did. Did both of you? Are you were you familiar with this? Do you know who Ryuichi Sakamoto
1: is? Passed away this week. Um, no, I, I actually, I, uh, embarrassingly hadn't heard of him until, uh, until he passed, and then realized how much of his oeuvre I had experienced uh, in retrospect. Yes, Sakamoto is like
2: maybe, maybe probably not probably maybe like the most important composer of modern Japan. Wrote the um. I guess leitmotif of Merry Christmas Mr Lawrence wrote the last emperor there's a great documentary called Coda that you should watch uh, about him he also ran I believe he like was a member of the Yellow Magic Orchestra I think that's yes. what it's called but the appeal of Sakamoto is capturing like emotion and using not just like instrumentation To create a feeling, but incorporating just sound and recognizing like that the world is musical inherently and that by bringing the world into your music, you are creating or bringing those emotions into it. Like that's the most profound way to bring it in. Mm. And In the most Sega thing of all time, Sakamoto wrote the interest, like the opening eight second jingle of when you turn on the console. So every time you turn on the console and you hear that noise, that is not the noise written by like a sound designer or just like somebody who like had, you know, something to do on the last day before they shipped the console. It is written by like one of the most talented musical philosophers ever. I love that. AJ, can we throw that sound in here?
1: Thank you.
0: Wow, that sounded great. Thank you, AJ. This is all really fascinating to hear. I mean, it's I'm I'm sad that he passed, but like, what an incredible legacy. And it reminds me too that like I feel like Sega has always had a very visible and strong interest in music in games. There's there's a stronger connection yeah. between like, like every bit, like, you know, music is big to Nintendo, obviously, too. I mean, there's so many iconic like Koji Kondo orchestrations and, you know, the Mario music. But something about Sega has always kind of put the music first in a way that I've always appreciated.
1: Yeah. Were
2: both of you Terrace House people or just you, Brendan? Just oh, Brendan. I, just I, I haven't watched much okay. of it. Brendan, remember the jazz musician and like the final season? Sure do. Yeah. That to me, like that is Sega music. When yes. I hear it. Yes, know? yes, yes. Like I, that sort of like peppy jazz my, my wife, when we were watching, she's like, What is this music? And I was like,
1: Sega. City Pop, you know. City Pop is is the Se- genre yeah, which yeah. I, I have become a complete diehard fan of in the years since Terrace House has ended. Uh, just like looking back at the history of City Pop. I think I think it is like one of the most fun genres of music that exists. I I literally just the other day, there's a a, a great uh there's a great artist named tatsuro Yamashita Um, who released an album in I think the mid 80s called Ride on Time, which has become, I think, one of my favorite albums like ever. And they just like... Days ago, at least at the time of this recording, days ago, announced a reissue of his vinyl because it's not available anywhere on any streaming service. And people, it's so fun If you go on YouTube and you look up Tatsuro Yamashita right on time, there are people who have uploaded like the full album. And then all of the comments are like, thank you for sacrificing your YouTube channel to allow us to listen to this for at least a <laughs> week or two before YouTube shuts it down. Because apparently the estate that owns that music is so litigious that they just shut down any uploads of his music anywhere. Wow. Which really bones me out. It's like it's like uh, Radiohead as of you know like five or six years ago before they relented and let their stuff be on Spotify.
2: Now I know we can't get an actual clip of it, but AJ, if you could just kind of gutturalize
1: uh, <laughs> a version of what you think that sounds like, yeah, throw daydream on there. That's a, that's a good song. <laughs> um, the other thing that I'm thinking about a lot too is uh, is this after what, what what year is this that the Dreamcast comes out? Like 2001, so, oh, right? Like early 2000s. No, so that
2: that is bullet point number nine thank you for the segue wow nine ninety nine. 99. wow okay the day of the dreamcast release in america months after the release in japan
1: the reason sorry w- just to connect those yeah. two dots the reason i'm asking is because one of the one of the big tentpole moments of the release of windows 98 was the reveal that brian eno made the startup sound for that And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if Sega weirdly was inspired by hiring Brian Eno for for Windows 98. It would make perfect sense. The amount of overlap that we're going to get to with Microsoft yeah. and
2: how the Dreamcast is like very clearly the rough draft for the Xbox mm. is uncanny. I mean, did you, did you both know that the Dreamcast ran Windows? <laughs> I didn't know that. Really? Yeah, it, it ran two OSs. It ran Windows CE. So Whoa. You, could, you could port it to Windows CE on it.
0: Was it the first console with internet connection or was that? Because I know there was the Satella view it was. for the Super Nintendo, but that was a satellite thing.
2: It was the first one with like networking activity. So right. there were ways to download games as early as I believe the NES. I believe the NES had a modem option where you could download Excitebike levels. Wow. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, this is like the first real online game go and play on like pc online shooters with friends mmos things like that right
0: like fantasy star i know was a big one for the dreamcast yes yeah
2: which rules and i think you can still play it with people online on original hardware
0: whoa that's incredible i might we might have to do that brendan yeah (laughs) Yeah. i think so too yeah
2: okay so number nine number nine new game premiere um number n- <laughs> Christ, sorry my brain's broken
3: World um,
0: premiere. okay so
2: 9999 is maybe the most important day in history i like to think of it as the day the music died um you know like <laughs> september 11th is like just around the corner yeah and this Jesus. is like the last good thing that we get you know yeah like this is peak 90s culture sega is worth a ton and by a ton i mean 2.5 billion dollars which, oh. at the time, people were like, wow, you're yeah. worth a lot. Uh, do you know how much Activision Blizzard is getting sold for? <laughs> no, how much? $68.7 Oh, wow.
0: I recently learned that Roblox is worth more than Nintendo, and I got really depressed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. But it is better. You know, you can make Mario and Roblox. You can't make
0: Mar- Roblox and Mario. You know, you, you jumped on that so quickly. I feel like you've had that in your pocket for a while. Like I know, like someone's gonna set me up to say Roblox is better than Mario. I
2: get it. They have a stupid movie. Big. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can make yeah, my own no, I'm movie. just used to saying that every um, every day at work.
1: You know, that's how I start every <laughs> Polygon day. When people try to pitch you on Nintendo stories, you say, no, 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 no. no, Absolutely not. Where's the Roblox hit? This
0: is pretty cool, but where's the Roblox? <laughs>
1: <laughs> how can you get this story in the metaverse,
2: you know? Can you get blockchain involved? I think uh-huh. that would really help. So $99.99. So it launches. That's also the price. <laughs> <laughs> well, the price is cheap. The price is 199
0: Oh, for the Dreamcast. So I guess they learned their lesson from the Saturn. Yeah.
2: Yes. So uh, it's launched like almost a year after it did in Japan. The launch in Japan was like, it was fine, but they didn't have like a lot of hardware at the time. There was like a chip shortage familiar. Um, they didn't have a lot of games. Right. And the idea was like, okay, when we launch in America, it is going to be the single biggest launch in the history of entertainment which they, like, said over and over and over again. Yeah. And here's, like, the scoop. It, like, actually was. They, they they spent an ungodly amount of money, and the, like, the amount that it made in pure cash at the time was, I believe, bigger than any one, like, opening weekend for a movie. Wow. So it, it's, like, kind of a technicality because, you know, a video game console costs a hell of a lot more than a movie. <laughs> yes. But, but it's big, and so big that they partnered with MTV uh, Music Video Awards and all through the music video awards there were dreamcast ads all throughout it every person every presenter at the awards got a dreamcast just the oh presenters yeah yeah just yeah. the people who like, could
1: definitely afford one and get one if they wanted to <laughs> i mean have
2: you ever gone to a red carpet that's every yeah <laughs> yeah the, the rich get richer my friend and <laughs> when it comes to dreamcast well, they definitely were getting wealthy but so it's like very weird i, I did either of you watch any of the "It's Thinking" ad campaign? No, no. I've 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 done no research prior to this okay. episode. So th- they um they partner with this um company called Pacific Data Images that they like created the animation for ants with a
0: Z. Oh oh the DreamWorks movie yeah yeah with Woody Allen and um <laughs> they
2: basically recreate all of the characters that are going to be in the launch games as like kind of like fully animated characters that are partying inside of a dreamcast that I think is also inside of your head. And they would like have like these like really menacing things where it's like the characters are dancing around in these rays and then it would like cut to like your head and it would be like... Exactly. Like, what? Well. Wow. I'm sorry. Are we are we supposed to be having fun or is this like an AI revolution? <laughs> That's like, what's like, going on.
0: Game advertisements before the year, like honestly, like before 2010 are are completely wild. Like I feel like every now and yeah. then, Brendan, you'll send me one, and it's all like it feels like Spike TV made all of them, basically. Yeah. Like they all feel like like weirdly aggressive completely not tied to the tone of the game they're selling. I remember the the commercial for the PS3 was a baby doll crying in a room. Do you remember that? It was like it might have (laughs) actually been David Lynch and if it wasn't they clearly were trying to be David Lynch. But it was this like weird cuts of a baby doll and then it would like laugh like a fully grown adult. I honestly think that might have been why the PS3 didn't do as well. <laughs> I thought that baby commercial like... At that point, we
1: were like very much over that kind of advertising. I feel yeah. like I have like been getting into the habit of posting those kinds of ads, specifically the print ads on our Tumblr, because I just yeah. like, can't believe what I'm finding the more I look into this. And I do remember specifically episode 154 of Into the Aether was called Level the Fuck Up, and it was based <laughs> on... <laughs> you and i talking about how weird ads for the game boy advance were and i made the cover art for this episode is a baby falling into the ocean holding a game boy advance and i remember sending it to you and you telling me i think this is too i think this is too real and too fucked up to make our episode art and i just did it anyway
0: <laughs> like, i feel like the same conversation happened with the marketing team i think this is too real and too yeah. fucked up to be the ad and they did it anyway oh i man. like how much it seems like a screenshot from a
2: kojima game yeah <laughs> it's the first you know like game. i've definitely played that yeah. um okay so yeah so it launches that day it's very very big and i i don't know where else to like put this but there's like a kind of a weird thing about the console it like it doesn't run CDs and it doesn't run DVDs. It runs GD ROMs. GD ROMs? GD ROMs. And like, that's kind of the only thing people like dorks like me are talking about when this comes out is, oh, GD ROMs. These are the future like gigabyte ROM.
1: Like they're like big storage. Oh, that's what the G stands for. Because I was going to ask because CD is compact disc. And I was like, is it gompack disc? <laughs> <laughs> Good data disc, um,
2: <laughs> Gump. I, I believe it's gigabyte, but, but like they really kind of hype this up. But the bummer is everyone else has like DVD so you know ps 2s coming out and you're like man, i don't know i'm kind of worried about that but anyway 9999 <laughs> is going really well it is a huge day for them there's just like one i don't know like small problem because you know they have 19 games they have like a fishing rod they have the vmu which is like a memory stick that you can play video games on it's i mean great day for them they have adam Sessler making a like a hour-long spot for Gamespot tv uh-huh. i mean it is a it's a really good day except final fantasy 8 has just come out on the playstation <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my god I, I okay now I'm wondering if mm. this is where I'm gonna cry because you're setting up Final Fantasy to be the villain of the Dreamcast <laughs> and this is like finding out like a family member is is a hitman you know it's like
2: Final Fantasy isn't a villain like if you think of like um uh, a-, a murder <laughs> Final Fantasy isn't the one putting the knife into the body but it is the one holding the body down <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know it was the shadow in which the murder took place you know right. the, the shadow is not having any will of its own it is simply setting the stage for nefarious activities
2: and by the shadow you mean the 1920s radio
0: detective
1: <laughs> right. it's exact, yes exactly okay. yes you
0: know me yeah the shadow knows. yeah okay Final fantasy it comes out four discs <laughs> By the way, I I think I shared this in the FF7 episode, but and I'm not trying to filibuster this into being a secret Final Fantasy episode. But no, you should. I remember like the switch to DVDs and PS2. I remember being a kid and 10 coming out and being like one disc because I was so used to like every new Final Fantasy was like three or four discs and, mm. and just in that marketing I thought it was like a step back even though it's like no this is a DVD <laughs> yeah versus yeah. like the four CDs the game was on
1: I'm just saying uh, Final Fantasy 8 could have fit on two GD ROMs <laughs> it should have been on the Dreamcast yeah
2: <laughs> um what before we go any further before we go to number number eight do you all have, like, Sega memories in general? Like, did you like Sega at all?
0: Yeah. yeah so my... I mean, Brendan has more experience with this, so I'll, I'll go real quick. But I didn't have I didn't have any of the consoles growing up. But I remember being really intrigued by the Dreamcast. So for context, if this was 99, I was 9 years old. And that was, like, I think right after I had played FF7 for the first time. So <laughs> cool. I'm weirdly personally involved in this story. But uh, I remember, like... I think we had just gotten either a GameCube or a PS2. So like the idea of getting another console was not really on the table for my family. But I just remember like my Sega always felt like sort of this, this other, like whenever I went to a friend's house and they had a Genesis or a Dreamcast, it felt like alien and magical to me. Cause I'm like, Whoa, like, what is this about? Especially the Dreamcast. Cause there was like and we'll get to this I'm sure but when that came out before the next generation of hardware like caught up that was so ahead of everything else like I remember seeing like you could play Soul Caliber in a game store and being like this is incredible mm. like and that game is still awesome I think that game still holds up but like it felt like the future for a very brief time yeah <laughs> it's sort yeah. of how I remember the Dreamcast
1: I uh, on my end I mean I, I, I've i said many times on the show but I grew up with, with the Sega Genesis and that was really the only game Console I had for a really long time. Um, and I wasn't really keeping current with it. And I, I like for sure wasn't playing stuff that was coming out as it was coming out because I was just going to Funko Land and buying whatever was in the bargain bin. And the Genesis was really the only like home console plugged into the TV that I had until the PS2. All the other games I was playing were on my Game Boys, uh, really. So The Genesis was very much my thing. I just remember, I didn't know, I wasn't plugged in enough to understand that like the Dreamcast had even come out. I didn't know anything about Mm -hmm. it really. Um, I just remember going to not even a friend's house, but my mom took me with her to like run an errand and went to somebody's house that she needed to drop something off at and like just threw me in the basement with this person's kid also to hang out for the 15 minutes while they caught up. Of course. And while I was in that basement was the first time I saw the Sega Dreamcast. Uh, And it was specifically (laughs) Sonic Adventure uh, DX, I think, or maybe it was wild. Yeah. And uh, I just remember seeing Sonic in 3D and being like, what the fuck am I looking at? (laughs) I didn't even know this was possible or existed. And then immediately my mom was like, all right, time to go. And then I had to leave.
2: Yeah, I I cannot imagine because the Dreamcast is such a step forward. Not just in terms of like, yeah, it looks great. Yeah. But like, it's coherent. It's like visually coherent because the Saturn is not that. Mm. You play any of the Sonic games there and they're like, I don't know, isometric? Or like, top down? Like, I, we don't we don't even really know what this 3D stuff is. Like, yeah. I kind of hope that this would just be more 2D, but like really good 2D. We have a whole bunch of RPGs and shooters if you want to play them.
1: Can you catch me um, up for a second on the Saturn? Like, what is the big release on the Saturn? That's like s- such a complete... Like, void for me in terms of my understanding of Sega. Yeah, me too. What I associate the Saturn with is, like, the the true
2: end of the 2D era. So, like, mm. really, really killer 2D, like, pixel RPGs. That's, like, Sega Saturn.
0: Wasn't Sonic and Knuckles on the Saturn?
2: Um, No, Sonic and Knuckles is still the Genesis. That was on the Genesis. Sega Saturn is, like, I believe it's, like, Shining Force 3, Panzer oh, okay. Dragoon Saga, you're not I mean the Tactics wow. Ogre something something Guardian Heroes which was like a like kind of a beat 'em up um it is so forgotten like it it's great it is so niche and most of its best stuff didn't come out in the states Castlevania Symphony of the Night came out, I believe just in Japan on Saturn. Oh, wow. Lunar Did you ever play Lunar Silver Star Story? No. I think I, one of them was on the on Game them. Boy
0: Advance. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yes. That feels like very like in y'all's zone. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird little console. I my parents had a rule with video game consoles which was that I could have like one at a time. So I would always like build up a collection and then sell it to one of my uncles for an absolute steal and they 100 percent robbed me in hindsight because i collected the most you know bonkers shit that now would be worth a fortune yeah and when it came time for the saturn i was like i'm ready i've really thought about this i don't want the playstation i want the saturn and uh yeah i really messed myself up with that you know <laughs> my, my my understanding of video game history is very um lopsided because of where i i focus my time i, I listen Brandon, i have a question for you mm so you grew up as like a genesis kid yeah do you feel any shame when you do a (laughs) mario episode and you say things like wow this was out and like people actually thought sonic was like comparable how do you how do you blaspheme someone so important to you
1: yeah with such ugly words I The thing, look, I'll, I'll be honest, we've revisited Sonic the Hedgehog a couple times and never really talked about those games on the show. I think I think we I think we have plans on maybe talking about like Sonic Mania. Eventually, I would like to do a more holistic look at the uh, Sonic Advance games again, because they also notably did not come up on our Game Boy Advance uh. episode. Really, I have found in the years since that I don't enjoy playing Sonic the Hedgehog as much as I wish I did because I loved those games as a kid, specifically Sonic and Knuckles and the ability, the the, the idea that you could plug the other Sonic the Hedgehog games into the top of that cartridge yes. and insert Knuckles into Sonic 1 and 2 was like unbelievable to me. I the mean, the original like, DLC. I was just about to say the same thing. Yes, that that stuff is magical and is still magical and is cool that it works, but I think just the fact like honestly doing the Super Mario All-Stars episode recently and yeah. looking specifically at the the competition between the Super Nintendo and the Sega Genesis, the Sega Genesis really had everything going for it in terms of price, game releases and just in terms of like the pure volume of games you could get for that thing. And yeah. all of the marketing that was happening with the Sega Genesis was specifically positioning it against the Super Nintendo and saying, do you want to play this old shitty italian man jumping through the air who you've seen a million times in other games or do you want this new cool fast guy named sonic who runs so fast you can barely see the background and that worked for me in the 90s and it doesn't work for me now unfortunately i agree i had i had a similar journey with sonic where like i
2: i was like no it has to be good and then i revisited all the games i don't know maybe 10 years ago and was like actually no none of the games are good And then the weird thing now is my son is, like, very into video games. Yeah. And much prefers Sonic over Mario. Wow. Which is, like, shocking. And having to, like, replay all the games through his eyes. And he doesn't see them as you got to go fast. He didn't have that marketing. So he plays it as, like, a platformer. And it turns out, like, these games are actually pretty solid they're not they're not like mario level good right but if you completely change how you play them and don't play them as they tell you to play them or as the first really two levels tell you to play them yeah there's a lot more going on than i ever appreciated and sonic mania definitely understands that Mm. um but uh unfortunately most other sonic games don't and those are the ones that get sold but (laughs) yes i i i agree i feel like i've been on a, a weird journey anyway
0: Number eight, we're back. We're back we're on back, track. Baby. Final uh, Fantasy Eight. Squall wakes up. He's in the hospital. <laughs> His head hurts. <laughs> he has yeah, the, the burning the episode, desire to collect cards.
2: People are like, "Why is this episode sixty hours long?" And it's because we <laughs> tell the rest of the story.
0: So then, disc two starts, and you're in a <laughs> desert prison. Cactuars everywhere. The five-hour debate about how this really would have been better on GD-ROM.
2: <laughs> um, okay, number num- eight. Number eight. Number eight. You actually kind of already set this up, Stephen, which is this is the first console to run arcade-perfect games, and there are going to be some like real poindexters who listen to the show, and they're like, what about Neo Geo? And to them, it's like, kick them in the nuts, dunk their head in the toilet, and swore to <laughs> them. I don't want to hear about it. Like Neo Geo doesn't count if you can only play it at a bowling alley because those are the only people who can afford it, um, yeah. it that that's not real. Also Neo Geo arcade games have nothing on SIG arcade games. The point <laughs> is the Dreamcast has it's like guts are effectively ever so slightly weaker version of its actual arcade board cool the Naomi so they literally just took the arcade board and we're like yeah let's just put it in people's homes
0: that's the thing i'm most excited about because i think so many of the games for dreamcast are like all-timer fighting games, like Third Strike, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, a lot of really early 3D fighters, like Soul Calibur and Dead or Alive, and also, like, Typing of the Dead, House of the Dead, like, all that stuff is so... I mean, we grew up in Jersey, and, like, there was a bit, like, the one of the best parts about going to the Jersey Shore growing up was the arcades on the boardwalk. Mm -hmm. And, like, that was my in a weird way that might've been my primary connection to Sega was like going into the house of the dead Two booth on the Jersey shore boardwalk, you know?
2: Yeah. I a hundred percent. Do did you, did either of you play solo caliber on dreamcast? Do you know like what the difference is?
0: No. Yeah. So I have, I have now just I, not to get too into it, but like I have played when I was like 19, my friend had a dreamcast that I borrowed for a bit. And that's when I played Shenmue and a few other <laughs> games uh, and then my roommate um a few years ago had a dreamcast and we we even before he got the dreamcast we played a ton of Soul Calibur 2 on my old PS2 that was like our game to play when oh, we wanted yeah. to catch up and then he got the dreamcast and we played Soul Calibur 1 and like it is it is still so fun like it is such an impressive game to this day but wait, what yeah. are the, what are the minor differences well i
2: mean the big thing is it has it has a campaign and the campaign right. is like good like better than most modern fighting games campaigns Wow, it has like actual like persistence and like rewards and like a, a, a logic to it it is not just the kind of street fighter campaign of you beat eight people and then you get a cutscene at the end where you yeah. find out that chun li gets to go back to just
0: being a fun loving teenage girl i do i do love like we're in i think a time where fighting games are coming back in a big way like i think guilty gear strive was such a cool moment and i'm really excited for street fighter 6 and Tekken VIII. But you're right that, like, the single player of those games has become a total afterthought, if even a thought at all. Mm, like, it doesn't yeah. really... Like, Guilty Gear Strive's single player mode is a five-hour movie that you can watch. <laughs> and that's basically it. Um, I really... Like, I I haven't played the campaign of one, but in two, there was this whole, like, weapon master mode that was so fun. And if you did the whole thing, you got lizard man, which, like, you know I was going to do that. <laughs> so, like, I... <laughs> I really do miss that in fighting games. I think there's a big place to bring that back. Do you, do you all have a sense of
2: why Sega deciding to basically put an arcade inside of its video game console was a very bad idea in hindsight?
0: No more quarters. Yeah. Did it mean
2: that people weren't going to the arcades anymore? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so that's like the bummer of it is their their business in Japan is like dominant arcade. Mm. So now it's like, oh. Well, you, you can play it at home. We have we have arcade at home. And then the other side is a lot of their arcade games are gimmick-based, right? They're fighting games where you need, like, fighting game sticks. Yeah. They're, like, a weird fishing game where you need an actual fishing rod. Mm. And the logic was, well, we'll just do that at home. And people will just buy expensive plastic for, like, any variety of things. So when it launches, it launches with a keyboard, with a fishing rod, with a whole bunch of like weird ass shit. The VMU. At launch. The fishing rod is at launch. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. The first video game console to launch with a fishing rod.
3: <laughs> um,
2: uh, and the last. And, hey, you know what? That The Sega Bass fishing game is like pretty good. But yeah, it, it it is one of those kind of like a nuclear option, right? Like... Hey, we can do this, and we'll be the most powerful thing, and Mm -hmm. we can use like merge our technology, but like at what cost? It it, kind of reminds me of like the Nintendo Switch, except for the Switch actually worked out. But like, hey, we we could just merge our console and like portable business. Yeah, and it's like that is really smart, but there's kind of no putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Right, you don't really
1: know what that's going to look like until you've done it.
2: Yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, it's nuts.
1: Number seven. Ooh. Oh God. Maybe before seven, we take a quick break uh, and and just think back on our times in the arcade before the Sega Dreamcast and also
0: beg for Sonic's forgiveness. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think we've committed some heavy sins here today.
2: While everybody's taking a break, just remember that Sega did make games for urinals uh, that were piss controlled. <laughs> Is that true? <laughs> yeah, that's true. You can still play them in in, in in Japan. There's There are still opportunities to piss game.
1: Wow, I can't wait to go to Japan. On that note, we'll <laughs> see
0: you all soon. Bye bye. Are y'all feeling the love? You're the for love, love. What's your
4: name? Guarantee what they call me the club. How you feeling tonight? night?
0: You're all feeling the love. love.
4: are good for love, love. Sonic, Sonic, Sonic. Man, stay off the light speed. My bad. Sonic like Adventure
0: Sega Dreamcast. It's thinking. We are back with more rules of the Dreamcast. We are at number seven. Chris, I would love for you to enlighten us what number seven is.
2: Well, okay. We're like a third of the way in, about. And before we go any further, I want to know, like, how is this hitting y'all? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling regret about taking on the Dreamcast? <laughs> about talking with me. Like, where where are you at? How can I how can I make this as rich as possible for you?
0: Honestly, I one just want to thank you for the work you put into this because I, I find it all really enlightening. I, I was talking to you a bit before we started recording, just about how like because we talk about so many games in the show, we rarely have an opportunity to kind of go this deep in terms of like the time and place that this system or these games were coming out. And I think for the Dreamcast, it's especially important because I think for, for these system episodes, I think the best candidates for an episode, you know, dedicated to a system retrospective are... Consoles are systems that are like identifiable to an era. You know, I think Game Boy Advance, I think was a good one to start with because like that is such a specific era for Nintendo, but is also kind of microcosmic of what they do well. And sort of like, mm-hmm. I think that was the moment where their handheld consoles became on the same level as the, as the home consoles. You know, the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance felt like they were on the same level of production and not like, oh, here's a sort of trade-off portable version of it that's not going to be as good but you can take anywhere isn't that cool all this to say i think with the dreamcast like the more you talk about this the more i think it would be foolish to talk about these games without any of this context i think it's so so many of these games already i identify as being like very very and almost too often too ambitious (laughs) i thought this whole era (laughs) is like there's like a hubris to this entire generation that's like kind of beautiful and tragic to behold so i'm like I am even happier that we chose this console to talk about because I think it's it's not going to be as simple as like these are my favorite games I think it's like these are games that represent like a very specific moment in history Uh, so that's yeah. that's what I'm thinking about currently
2: yeah that idea of like when you did GBA it's like these are the 20 best GBA games and like 10 of them are in my 20 best of all time yeah this is like these are the 20 best Dreamcast games and none of them are in my top 100
3: <laughs> <laughs> you
1: know? um, I, I think that's I think that's fair, Brendan. How are How are you? How are you? Where are you at? I'm I'm having a great time. Uh, I, one of the reasons I wanted to do the Dreamcast in the first place was because of how little I know about it. Uh, that just yeah. seems really exciting to me, and uh, I, I appreciate you elucidating me on so much of this history. I think honestly, it's really nice to have somebody kind of bringing us through it and walking us through this history. It's really great. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah,
0: because this is also a rare moment where like usually with the game or system either brendan or myself have this foundational time with it sure and this is the first time where neither of us do yeah really. we're just going in from scratch yeah, yeah. Really cool. and you brought on somebody who cares way too much. <laughs> <laughs> i mean
2: I, I i'm sure i'll get into it later but it, it's like hard for me to talk about how important this like console is to me mm. it, it is the con- like the last console i really invested myself in before i went through that kind of growing up period where i stepped away from games and where, like especially as a teenager like you're so busy you know i was discovering i loved theater and writing and all these i was kind of discovering who i was beyond games yeah and stepped away from them and this was this was right before that Mm. and i associate this with like the strongest love i've ever had for any console and i wasn't into the console wars. Like I liked that Nintendo had good games. But again, I could only have one console, so I had invested myself in like Sega and like believing in this company and caring about this company and knew who the executives were as a little kid. My parents <laughs> took me on a vacation to San Francisco and I went to the office and asked the um the like person at the front desk for just a card, like a business card, just so I could have it. Like Yeah. Wow. Truly, which was wild then later on in life, um that was the same office that that OneUp.com worked in Wow. back when OneUp.com was a website. Yeah. Um. So then, like, for my first game job, UGO, I, we ended up working with OneUp and going there and like, kind of like having that that cycle complete was really special. Yeah. Anyway, the, the before we get into seven, the only other addendum I was going to say, is building up what you said, Stephen, and I think is like super helpful in terms of how everybody who is joining along and who wants to play these games with you, which I think everybody should. The GBA is the like end of decades of of effort and learning about how to make a certain type of game mm-hmm. and you're right like that's why those games are so incredible because everyone involved making the games has had so much experience or at least shared experience or documented uh, you know learnings the dreamcast is the diametric opposite yeah <laughs> it is it is repeatedly people saying well what if a video game console was also a pc or what if it you could play with people online what are mmos you know when you are playing in Japan and in, in America. Mm. What what does it mean to like have cloud saves which is really what the VMU is kind of getting at before cloud saves were a thing. Right. We're asking all these questions and you never get those type of questions right on the first try. Yeah. But somebody has to be the first one to
1: ask. Can you do me a favor and the listeners a favor? I mean I I, I think I know the answer to this but can you explain what the VMU is and why it's so cool? Yeah. Is so that, the it, VMU, that's not number seven is it? No. Well
2: no but we can let's get into it. The VMU, EMU is the visual memory unit. And the way that this worked is the 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 controller for the Dreamcast. And you should honestly, if you've never seen one, you should Google it because it's kind of hard to describe. Amazing. Picture the original Xbox controller, which this isn't helpful. If you haven't seen the original Dreamcast (laughs) controller, you probably haven't seen the original Xbox controller either. The Duke. But they're huge. This massive, massive controller. And on the Dreamcast, right in the center of it, was a hole, just a big cutout hole. And what you would do is you would slide your your memory stick, the VMU, into that hole. And on your memory stick was a square LCD screen. And on the LCD screen, you could see your save files, but you could also play games inside of it. So for Sonic Adventures, they included a Tamagotchi-like game for your um, Chao, who is like this little cute little critter. And I uh, remember forever... uh, Taking my child to school, to junior high, uh, junior high, high school, whenever I took it, and my shop teacher seeing me playing it (laughs) and coming over and being like, What are you doing? And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I was like, total good kid, never got in trouble, but Mm -hmm. you know, like, I'm not clearly not a shop kid. And uh, my shop teacher must have known that because he was like, Hey, you know what? You can do it, but can you just sit in the back so nobody else sees you? (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's fair. I was like, worried he was going to like throw out your chow. I was, yeah, I was he getting was ready. so nice. That's actually really and, nice. And yeah. that,
2: a great example of you know an adult, and uh, especially like a masculine adult at that time, recognizing that and not everybody's like him, and just being chill with that. I don't think I ever built a single thing in shop class. Um, <laughs> he was just like, I l- look at
1: you, like, yeah. Let's, let's be honest. Um, uh, I can, I'm sorry. I can't get over the Chekhov's gun of you telling us that we're both going to cry in this episode. I.
0: <laughs> i keep w- wondering yeah. when it's gonna happen <laughs> I, I, I wish it was the shopkeeper anecdote yeah. that would have been great it, that, that, that came close <laughs> that in Final fantasy 8 came close
2: I, I, a, I, I, now i'm worried like what if you don't cry <laughs> but i'm still i'm still hopeful
0: yeah i think you can manage it
2: so the uh, the other thing that's cool about the vmu is it basically predicts dual screen play or what second screen play second screen because play, yeah. you they incorporated things into the vmu while you were playing the game so that's why it needed to be in the controller mm-hmm. so if you played um, sports games you called your plays off the vmu so if you were playing two-player on the same tv you didn't see the plays on the tv you saw them on your VMU. oh that's so cool yeah wow so there was a a number of ideas that they had to experiment with again kind of like the DS2 borrows from some of these, yeah, these ideas. I, I
0: remember um, with Soul Calibur, to go back to that, like on, on that memory card, for every playable character, there was like a little 8 bit sprite of yeah. that character when you selected them that would just kind of be hanging out on the card. It was so cool. Which is
2: hilarious because some of those characters are just—they're too much sexy, you know. Like, how do you fit that much bondage gear in such a small screen? Yeah, making Valdo eight bit is like it'll crash your Dreamcast. You know? <laughs> you, did either of you watch Pat Gill's? And this is just me plugging Polygon, but Pat Gill, one of our video producers, made a video on Valdo. Yeah, it's and it unreal. is one of my favorite video game videos of any kind.
0: I watched his video on um like why it's worth getting into fighting games, which I loved. That was a great like pitch for because that's something that I've been wanting to do and kind of have done for a long time but that like i think was a great perspective to get from like someone who is newer to the scene and not like someone who has like an established place in the fighting game community this is very funny because i think of you as
2: very much a fighting game person already <laughs> i don't think of like you, you can't like come onto a podcast now and then and be like yeah so i'm like the you know second to top tier of guilty gear <laughs> and then be like i just don't i think i'm a beginner no 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 no
0: no i, I appreciate you thinking of me as a fighting game guy i feel like i'm at this that like threshold though where it's like i'm definitely like interested enough that i'm beyond like a casual player but i'm nowhere near the people that like do this full-time that's kind of what i mean to say mm, maybe that it's that imposter syndrome but you know who knows i love it okay yeah
2: number seven
0: Yes, number number seven. And then we're going
2: to take a break after number seven to just talk about... I just want to hear more about what games y'all want to play. But, but, But before that, number seven. This is the first console to run Windows and blur the line between console and PC, which I mentioned a little earlier. Ran Windows CE as an optional OS, which meant you could develop with Sega code, like most people would, or you could develop for Windows CE, which in theory would be great for, like, porting. The only problem is running effectively CE on a video game console. It had not it was brand new. It was yeah. not optimized at all. So it didn't work great. So the only reason to really port to Windows CE or to code for CE was either for like the browser right like things that were not video games are like really lightweight games mm. so it's a it's a really great and very progressive idea about where video game development was heading and honestly is like a few generations ahead of itself yeah like really just this generation is the first one that i would say is like a true close to native pc to console style
3: of yeah.
1: development because even even what two generations later i guess when, you, when you're when you thinking about the ps3 famously before that thing even launched you were hearing about developers being upset with the back end of that and what it was like to develop oh, for yeah. that because it was so different from pc development that it was like it just required a completely different skill set
2: yeah and, and because it had this and because windows allowed for all these things like a browser they played to that it had a built-in modem uh when it finally came to the us it actually launched with a 56k i believe it was a removable modem even from the beginning and you could put in a dsl port so you could like get high speed internet into a Sega Dreamcast in 1999, which is just nuts. <laughs> it connected to a thing called SegaNet, which allowed you to play online. We'll talk about like stuff like Quake 3 Arena and Unreal Tournament later, because that was a thing that a lot of people were into, you know, being able to play a shooter online. Yeah. But Fantasy Star Online was the one that I connected with because now I don't know if this was like fake marketing or how they pulled this off but it had a trans like a very early translation system so that you could play between English and Japanese players. Oh wow. Oh that's amazing. And like communicate with them via text. Yeah. That's I amazing. Yeah, I haven't gone back and tested that. I don't know <laughs> like that, if that was like just really good marketing or like true, but it felt it felt truly global mm. and again that even felt like ahead of its time maybe by a generation or two where it wasn't just oh i'm playing lan or you know like the xbox era in my head or oh i'm playing you know in the states i'm playing like a global always online game yeah on a video game console wow it was nuts which brings me to the games what (laughs) what what are you all excited for what are you all terrified of what what's like the first thing you're going to play
0: yeah so i actually on backlog.com which is where we keep a lot of our playlists and goatee lists and stuff like that i have a public list of currently 64 games for the dreamcast that i plan on playing so i'm going to scroll through here and and share a handful of games that i'm either really excited to play excited to replay or scared of for a variety of reasons. <laughs> Soul Calibur, I think I mentioned many times, I'm just excited to play that again. I, I really love that game. And alongside that, the two Power Stone games I've I've played in recent memory. And I feel like I've always thought of Power Stone as like the prototype for Smash Brothers. It feels like the closest parallel to like what eventually became like a party fighting game in some ways. Um, I don't know if I'm far off with that, but that, that's how I've always seen it. Grandia 2 is one that I see in a lot of the best RPGs that I, I really have no idea what that is. Rez is a game that I adore, and I'm really curious to see how that plays on the original hardware. Seaman is obviously a game that I'm terrified of, but I'm excited to experience. Do you want to do you want to you should probably take a minute to say what that is? Just so it's, you know, like <laughs> nobody's <laughs> taking that out of context, you know, or just to have me say Seaman again. Yeah. Uh, so
2: yeah, that's that's it.
0: Seaman or Seaman, however you want to call it, is a uh, narrated by Leonard Nimoy. So there's a Star Trek connection. Is here.
1: that
3: true?
0: Yes. Yeah. Seaman is a essentially a virtual pet game where you have to like death stranding adjacent control a aquarium by like manually turning heat knobs. And like, you know, eventually uh, you have like a more like for frogs terrarium where you have to like spritz in the environment to like increase the humidity of the environment. But basically the game begins with, Eggs that turn into little fish, and they all have a man's face on them instead of a fish face. They all have a human face, the same face. A seaman. A seaman. And you basically raise them as they evolve into eventually frogs. But the whole time they will talk to you sometimes and they'll ask you like weirdly philosophical questions. And you have to talk to them through a microphone. So it's sort of like, hey, you Pikachu, but like nightmare fuel version of it basically
4: i may not look so hot to you but you should see yourselves through my eyes Creepy. my name is seaman
0: that's what i have i've seen footage of it i've never played it and i'm really curious how that is going to go for us i cannot wait have you played seaman have i yeah Oh my gosh, yes. Uh, There's also (laughs) a
2: a semen two that is unavailable, but apparently like fully developed. Wow. Um, Oh really? It was made for iOS, and then they like I don't know if it got caught up in the rights or something, but I'm pretty sure it was like close to finish. Yeah. That was all, at least the rumor. Brendan, how about you?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is this is fun for me because I mean a lot of these are unknowns for me, but there are a couple of things that I've really been dying to get my hands on. Um I mean, obviously Shenmue, especially considering yeah. in mean, my like Yakuza era, I feel like I really I really am probably going to enjoy Shenmue more than I should, if I was to guess.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Steven, you already mentioned Rez, but Rez is up there for me. Um, yeah. One of the big ones for me, honestly, I am like really excited to get my hands on Skies of Arcadia. Oh, both yeah. of you. I, I, I will be surprised if Skies of Arcadia is not
2: in both of your top five, if not like top three. Interesting. It just feels like so y'all's shit.
0: I yeah, mean like, it feels that way
2: yeah cool rpg that you know forever doomed to not have the legacy it deserved space pirates yeah anime ass shit it's it's (laughs) great you know it's just real good
1: one other game that i'm excited to play which i could have played really at any moment but haven't i mean it's just been ported to everything uh but i'm excited to finally check out is ikaruga um oh yeah me too wait have neither of you played it no yeah i've not
2: oh man the ikaruga is the game that turns you into a shmup fan it, I think <laughs> I think it is like the entry point because the way Ikarigo works is there are two colors of bullets and you can like shift your color to absorb the other one. So there's like red or blue, right? So if the yeah. screen is covered in red, you can just turn to accept red. And then if like you want to have to turn back to accept blue bullets and it creates this like unbelievable sense of power in bullet hells. That makes it less intimidating because like, yeah, the bullets are coming at you. But in theory, you can just like move right through them. Mm -hmm. That once you've played that, then you can get into like the really the real nasty stuff that ruins (laughs) your life (laughs) because you're trying to figure out, you know, like these tiny little pockets where you can squeak yourself through in a bullet hell. Yeah. Yeah, I I'm very excited to see what happens when when y'all play that. I feel like you're just going to come in contact with a a number of genres that I don't hear y'all talk about that much Mm. that that you could end up falling in love with because the dreamcast is so good at an entry point for those sorts of things
0: yeah i feel like especially a lot of sports games are here which is something that we could never talk about really yeah
2: i I was literally just gonna say virtua tennis like Mm. i think that game i i I hope you know i hope you fall in love with because it's it's such a special game yeah cool one like bit of trivia Oh, sure. Do you, either of you know the code name for the Sega Dreamcast?
0: Oh, man. I, f- I feel like I've heard it before, but I don't... If it's Icarus, I might end the episode prematurely, because that will be two on the nose.
3: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what
2: is it, it? It's a trick question. There are two. There are two oh. nicknames, or codenames, because there were two Dreamcasts being made against each other. Whoa. Uh, there was Codename Black Belt, which was uh, the Sega of America Dreamcast. And there was codenamed Dural, which is named after uh, that silver uh, virtual fighter character oh, wow. uh, that was being made in Sega of Japan. And Microsoft was working with both projects. Whoa! Uh, and this will I, this will shock you, but Sega of Japan was like, you know what? We're going to go with Sega
1: of Japan on this. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Sega of America. Why were and why were both arms of Sega working on the same console? separately like that freak out mode freak out mode um mm. the, it was the sega saturn is not
2: working neither of us know how to fix this we yeah. need to find a solution 3d graphics are changing dramatically sega of america uh, was moving really aggressively to the point i think they actually may have signed some paperwork with some gpu manufacturers and then had like back out of it i don't know if it like cost them um but they were wanting to work with a lot of like the really popular manufacturers at the time and um Sega Japan was like, but what if we don't and we like keep it a little cheaper and we just like stick with like the chip makers that we're familiar with? Yeah. Um, and that that one out probably wasn't the best idea, but like, you know, who knows? I, I'm not sure it would have really mattered either way for, for Sega. Um and there's a third code name, which is Project Dural, once it was chosen, became Project Katana. Uh, and that was the one that you would hear in the press and in magazines ahead of the dreamcast announcement interesting so way up top when we were talking about sega saturn i mentioned like the ea drama and the ea drama continued basically with the sega dreamcast ea did not make games for the sega dreamcast which in 1999-2000 you can probably see why like that's not great for any video game (laughs) you know publisher Uh uh-huh you know they 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 do make these games called madden and nhl but here's here's the really weird thing i before this episode i wanted to like research that because i didn't remember like the vague memory had was oh well they were still pissy so they didn't do it but that doesn't make sense like that's not how businesses work businesses like money and like ownership ch- or leadership changes like that that doesn't check out to me so i try to watch a few more like youtube documentaries and read a bit more about it and what i found was that ea actually wanted to make games for the sega dreamcast and that they were like hey we'll like let's you know water under the bridge one small thing though we want to be the exclusive maker of sports games for the dreamcast <laughs> come on <laughs> Yeah, so they're like, yeah, we, we want to, but like, we but we want this exclusive. Only us. We all yeah. want a lot of things in life. Yeah, this is also <laughs> th- there's like a reason for them to ask this. Sega had just acquired a company called Visual Concept for like 10 million bucks or something mm-hmm. visual concept had actually made a number of ea's games like they had made madden and they had made oh, wow. nhl games and they were going to create the 2k sports line oh my gosh. 2k sports <laughs> was a sega brand it became a, a a different brand later on but it started out as sega 2k wow yeah so they're like making this and ea sees that and they're like hey no, what like, the fuck? We'll make, we'll make games for you. You don't. You don't need to worry about that. We don't need competition. And <laughs> Sega's like, sorry, no. There's also another reason for Sega not to want to like worry about this. When the Sega Genesis was out, this is a long time ago, and this is very different leadership. EA was like a punk rock company. Like that is like how they were perceived in the market. Wow. They were run as like kind of like a zine. They made these absolutely batshit like games about like drug culture and like anti-war stuff and like weird games where you played as a poltergeist and you just scared the shit out of squares. Um, like really interesting games. And they also had a business model that was like creator first and we don't want to have to worry about contributing to like quote the system. Yeah. So they created a um, uh, what is it like a, a white room uh, whatever it is where you like figure out how coding of a thing works without actually touching it and they broke down and reverse engineered the genesis so they could get around the need to get an approval and license and they could just ship their own genesis cards wow hell yeah and you can buy them like they you, if you've ever seen a genesis cart that has like a little like yellow cutout on it yes that's what that is that oh my is god a an a, a an ea cart and sega like was furious about this. EA kind of created a bluff where they were like, hey, don't push on us too hard or else like we will sell our license or give it away for free to (laughs) anybody who wants it. And it was like totally a bluff because the reality is nobody wanted to get it from EA. Like everybody else was like terrified of pissing off Sega. Oh, interesting. But EA created this like scenario where they made Sega think like they actually had a lot of power. EA and Sega have like a real history of not a great relationship yeah i, I
1: <laughs> had always wondered what that yellow block on on the ea cartridges meant because i i did have a bunch of madden games when i was a kid on my genesis yeah that's fascinating that's so interesting yeah and ea had been doing this for a while i, I can't
2: remember if they pulled it off i think they did with nintendo with the nes like this was a a, a business strategy for them was to try to not pay for licenses wow
0: yeah <laughs> that's incredible yeah yeah it,
2: it isn't it like wild how punk ethos becomes corporate ethos so yeah i'm gonna like, say like
0: fast forward 20 years and they're like we've made one of the main characters in mass effect 3 five <laughs> like, you know. dollars and,
3: and
2: also how like that attitude when you are the underdog is seen as cool and when you are like the powerful company is like that sucks yeah, yeah. right like right if ea did that today it'd be like you extremely suck
3: yeah. yeah.
1: Right. Hypothetically, their vibe hasn't changed that much. It's just now that they are the big corporate monolith. Uh, it's a little less endearing. The- <laughs>
2: yeah yeah um uh okay
1: number five it's time to get into what
2: killed the dreamcast
1: sorry i'm just thinking the last time ea was punk rock was when uh the villain of mirror's edge 2 was the ceo of ea <laughs> 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 yeah, so it was like
2: andrew wilson yeah that was
1: so hype yeah. that, that was like one of my favorite things
2: <laughs> man i i would i interviewed andrew wilson once like i was like in the ea offices and like sitting down with him and he was really nervous and i was just trying to like get him to chill out I was like oh you know what's your favorite cafeteria like dumb questions that uh-huh. just get somebody like out of their head favorite cafeteria in the ea in the office? ea like all of the offices that's so right funny. like yeah. a global and he was like oh that's a funny story i um he's like really into like mixed martial arts and his dad i think was like a preacher in australia who like doubled as like a preacher and like a bar fighter like would like go in and be like I don't. I can't remember how yeah. much this is true. So I'm like worried about like defaming him. <laughs> but it's something where he he has a family bloodline of, of mixed martial arts, and he like had a, a standing thing where he would fight like anybody in the company who wanted to like spar, <laughs> and he like got bloodied. I guess or like some like very low level employee had to go into a cafeteria with like a bloody nose.
1: Oh my god! Uh, it's like man, what a what a what a what a dude. So did he <laughs> ease such, up after like, that or? <laughs> <laughs> was he less nervous after he told you how he beat the shit out of his subordinates no no he didn't mean the, the subordinates at oh, him the, the, vice versa wow. he got okay. bloodied wow you wow. know
2: he got humbled yeah. you know that's a it's a good ceo story i don't even know if it's like true
1: type yeah. of story <laughs> and but then I it happened like again it. on stage at the reveal of mirrors Edge 2. <laughs> <laughs> okay so gd-rom this is this is this is, the, this is the beginning of the end
2: so
0: five what killed the dreamcast yeah, and four, three, two, and one. <laughs>
2: okay, Great. Yeah. So G D ROM it's beneficial to Sega for like a handful of reasons. You can get like why they decide to do this. The decision they needed to make was like do we do G D Rom or do we do D V D? Because D V D is what everybody else is doing. Dvd costs like more money. That's a big thing. And it's also like not proprietary, so it seems safe, but you there's less known about it. GD Rom was cheaper to make it had its own copyright protection didn't work like in a cd or dvd player um you had to have a gd rom player which made it like in theory really hard to bust couldn't be read on pc drives it did have some problems though um it had smaller storage than dvds and it was very new technology that wasn't widespread so it was like prone to defects uh which actually happened when the dreamcast launched a lot of people's discs were busted oh wow um because they just weren't used to manufacturing at that capacity. The, the big problem that they did not, uh, uh, I guess, expect or think was worth the investment is getting a, quote, free DVD player with your PS2 or Xbox is a really good selling point. Yeah. Like a really – it was really helpful for, like, kids talking to their parents where
1: they're like, yeah – I know it's a lot, but yeah, it also a you DVD want a player. DVD player, so like, just get this DVD player. That was one of the reasons my parents wanted a PS2 and got me one for my birthday way back when. And that was, again, the reason that my dad, independent of me, went and bought a PS3 eventually. You know, yeah. way, way down the line of the PS3. Uh, not at launch, obviously, because that was way too expensive. But down the line, bought it so we would have a Blu-ray player in our house. So the spoiler here is like, this is going to be the thing that kills the
2: Dreamcast mm. is gonna be piracy. Right. The whole thing, like the big win that they thought of this, that it would not be prone to piracy, is actually like the the exact opposite. There are two challenges that like pirates have to figure out that seem not doable and end up being extremely doable. One is like how do you rip games? And the other is how do you create non-GD ROM discs that are like readable? Mm. And I'm gonna like spare all of the technical stuff, but the like the secret is there's a thing called a MILCD, which was a, a type of a a version of a disc. Think of it as like somewhere between a CD and a GD-ROM. Mm. And you could run it in a Dreamcast. And then once you did that, you could run just a CDR after it as a boot disk. Whoa. <laughs> and you could just run whatever you wanted. <laughs> so you would like basically, the, people created these things called like a Utopia disk. And then you would just put a copy of the game, of any game you wanted on CDR and play it. And then just like even shorter after that, people are like, oh, let's just build the MIL CD loader. Onto the CDR disc, so you could quite literally
1: just put a CDR into any Dreamcast. Oh my god! And play whatever you wanted. So, what about the disparity between the storage capacity of the CD-ROM and the GD-ROM? That's a very good question. That people would alter the
2: games. People would cut out like videos, or they would like (laughs) overcompress them. Wow! So it did change the quality of the games. That's so interesting. But nobody cared because it was like, hey, I can play pretty much anything for free. And you could do that because there was a thing called the Echelon Group that released the full catalog of Dreamcast games online and would update it like wow. anytime something new came out. Wow. So I, yeah, th- how, how they actually found a way to rip games is a little bit more complicated. If you're like really curious about that, I think like listeners should go watch YouTube videos. Um, I'm going to give some like, places to look at the end of this but yeah the long story short is uh it ended up being unbelievably easy to pirate the entire dreamcast library if you had just a cdr <laughs> ripper in an internet connection <laughs> and that i think is really what killed the dreamcast
0: wow yeah i, um, I remember hearing about this after the fact because i think this was also like the beginning of like Napster and stuff. I feel like yeah. piracy online in general was becoming like the cool thing to do <laughs> in this, in these exact years.
2: Yes. Yeah. And it, and it was normalizing the idea of piracy, right? Like right. Making you right. culturally comfortable with it. So there's like, there is a positive side here. And this is more of a question I have for y'all about what you're going to include on, on your list because it was easy to create effectively G, like dreamcast game discs there immediately became a killer homebrew community, like better homebrew community than we had seen for any console up until this point. Yeah. And there are some really good homebrew games. And I'm curious, will you all include homebrew like in your catalog, the things that you're looking at? Or are you like, no, it has to be like an official
1: release? I think I would, depending on the games Right. Like if if there are really standout, like, you know, if, if we hop online and search for the best homebrew Dreamcast games, if there are some that look interesting, I, I, I can't imagine why they wouldn't count.
0: Yeah, I feel the same way. I think I mean, I think
2: I think that's the right choice. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I, the, 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 the main reason I, I think you like kind of have to is a game called Beats of Rage, which do you know about Beats of Rage? No. No. Is it Streets
1: of Rage but a rhythm game?
2: It, no, it's a Streets of Rage sequel that's entirely fan made and is better than like the first three Streets of Rage games. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> yeah, it's absolutely killer. It was the best Streets of Rage game until Streets of Rage Four came out. Okay, and it's awesome. You, I don't think these are like games that'll make your list, but there's an entire community that is interested in porting games to the Dreamcast mm. because of of all this. So Counter Strike works on dreamcast (laughs) cave story obviously i know that you both talked about another world somewhat recently yeah yeah. um it's on dreamcast just this well i guess 2022 postal got ported to dreamcast yeah why i don't i don't know and there are just new dreamcast releases every year basically since the dreamcast came out if you go to like any kind of like Import or hobbyist shop, um or like small indie game shop, you will probably find new Dreamcast games. I love that. um That's awesome. Yeah, it it is great. It can kind of be a problem because you'll go and you're looking like, oh, which of these games are like old? And you're like, I I don't know. I think this game came out in 1999, and I'm like, <laughs> no, that came out in 2022. <laughs> Um, I'm I'm sorry. And that's why it costs $70.
1: Yeah. I've been getting weirdly a little bit into the world of, uh, like new fan-made Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games recently. Um, there's a YouTuber I'll give a shout out to named Retro Break, uh, who reviews like fan-made or new Game Boy games, uh, like almost exclusively. And I love watching that stuff. And I've been checking that out. And I had no idea that was present on the Dreamcast. That's very exciting to me. It's killer.
2: Yeah. Number four, I can blast right through this one because we've talked about it almost entirely. Sure. It's just that there is an immense focus on multiplayer on and offline. Mm. And I think when you're going through the games, that's a thing for y'all to consider about how you want to approach that. Um, There's the modem. As I mentioned, there are four controller ports on the base model. So they wanted people playing together. Power Stone, I think, is, like, the, the quintessential example, which is a 3D kind of, like, open fighting game. I don't know how to describe that type of combat.
0: I mean, it's, it's. I guess you could say, like, an arena fighter, but it, like I said before, it kind of reminds me of, like, a test at Smash Brothers. Like, what Smash Brothers would eventually become. There are more, like, arcadey environmental things where suddenly it will be like, run! And then, like, all of a sudden you have to, like, run up an area in the level because like the area is flooding or something or like um, you'll be on a ship with like propellers and you can like toss people into the propellers or
2: you can like John Woo off of like little bar. Like you can do more gymnastics, I guess.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of items too. like, I mean, you can find the power stone and then like transform into the characters. I loved the chef that became a big dinosaur. <laughs> Think about him a lot. Um, <laughs> but yeah. I feel like there are a few games that like Brendan, you and I would have to play together at some point. Mm. Uh, before we record so we'll we'll make that happen and then
2: the the vmu i think is actually part of this too because i i compared it to cloud saving if you're creating a system that does emphasize multiplayer so much especially like local you need to bring your memory card with you because cloud saving doesn't exist yet and the only way to motivate people to do that is if you turn that object into a gaming device Mm -hmm. you know something that you want to carry in your pocket right and i think that was kind of the genius of the vmu was not just making it a memory stick making it something that is meant to go wherever you go yeah and hey by by accident you might show up at a friend's house and be ready to play the Dreamcast, and, and you're ready to go and then the games that are, are are here yes just a ton of sports games a ton of fighting games which i i'm sure you're going to dig into yeah do you want to take a break before we get into the final three sure
1: let's do it that sounds apt. yeah why okay. not see you in a bit see ya
4: Randy, you have no idea how it was back in the genesis days you couldn't think couldn't adjust look what you got my receivers couldn't do that and our defense shot. you'll never get beat by the same whack play over and over you better appreciate what you got junior hey let me go I think Ojimbo got a hold of a bad taco hey, I'm a legend when
3: I found 2 on Sega Dreamcast it's
0: thinking 3. why Neo Geo sucks
3: unit <laughs>
2: <laughs> metal slug more like um, metal. I need a hug after playing that <laughs>
0: bullshit. More like metal. I need a hug. Uh, whenever I go to a retro store, there's for whatever reason there's always like one angry customer leaving because they wanted a Neo Geo. I'm not even just saying that because <laughs> you brought it up. I like it is like one of the harder like pieces of equipment to find because I imagine but little there's... do they know they were being saved
2: <laughs> from, from a world of disappointment and mediocrity. Neo, get out
0: of here! Yeah. Um, <laughs>
2: the geo stands for get everyone
1: out
0: (laughs) i (laughs) I imagine we're 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 back in now welcome back hello (laughs) i had a quick question just about you know thinking about how we're playing this i've been thinking about tvs for this and like Mm -hmm. i i don't have a crt currently my two options are my like Current 4k tv or i have like a 2009 the size of like a laptop screen tv that like isn't a cr tv but like i feel like is the first like early this is for a college student hdmi connection tv yeah do you think that would be a good candidate for the dreamcast or should i get a different different connection for it
2: this gets i mean this gets into the modding which brendan and i were just talking about before we hop back in we should maybe dig into that right now yeah if you don't plan on playing on a on a cr tv i just play on like the nicest screen you have like okay. modern mo- the more modern the tv the better it's going to have up like up processing whatever that's called like yeah. it's gonna it's gonna do a better job of making the image look good i think there's also a question of how much of the stuff you want to play on emulation versus how much you want to play on original hardware. I think original hardware is like pretty necessary for a number of games, but I think there's a lot that like you probably are better off not worrying about original hardware.
0: There was recently a Dreamcast sale on Steam. That was like a handful of stuff. So I do have like, like I do have Res on multiple platforms. I do have, um, jet set radio on a number jet grind radio excuse me on a number of different platforms
2: yeah i mean also with anything you bought off steam it depends on how much you want it to be like authentic to the real thing because crazy taxi for example is not the same game like oh really the music and the ads in that game are different and the music and the ads i think are crucial to the personality (laughs) of that game yeah um, you know, you, having to listen to the same offspring song over and over again while you like go to a KFC
0: is just is so what crazy Taxi joy. is to me. I, I think for this episode, I'm gonna try to play as much on a Dreamcast as possible. I think like for some games, I might try them in multiple places, but I think I mean, that, that's been our approach for everything like for the DS and for the Game Boy events. Like, I think for the DS episode, most of it was on a DSi, and then some things Mm -hmm. I played on a 3DS, and then for the Game Boy Advance, our friend Kyle modded us the Game Boy Advances, so I played that, and an SP and another uh, handheld device. So yeah, um, I I imagine for Dreamcast, it will be a similar mix of things.
1: What I'll say about the Dreamcast and the modding scene in particular is at least what I was envisioning for us. And we've been been waiting until uh, recording this episode uh, to to buy those consoles specifically so we could ask you, Chris, about about your feelings about it. But what I've seen generally is if you're buying a modded console on, on the internet, if you're not buying like a stock one, which has its own issues if you just buy it stock because like the VMU has a battery built in that needs to get replaced and all this stuff. There's Mm -hmm. like a lot of things that can fail if you just buy like a used original Dreamcast. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of almost preferable these days to buy a modded one. So you can kind of circumvent a lot of the issues that that console was kind of known for having. Right. Having to put a dictionary on top of the... The system to like <laughs> to keep force the disc lid to close make the
2: games work yeah
1: yeah what i what i found is that most of them have HDMI out so that's probably what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna get one that has HDMI out the other thing the other big thing going back to talking about piracy on the console uh, seems to be that most of them also come with a disc drive that has been removed and replaced with an SD card slot uh, that usually just comes with right. every Dreamcast game built into the SD card slot at least most of the places i found that are selling them on like Etsy and stuff and eBay and whatever it's just like, yeah, it also just comes with every Dreamcast game and HDMI out.
2: Right. Yeah, I I, I think that is the right choice too. Also, I, I have to imagine the games run a bit faster. Oh, probably, yeah. Not loading not off an SD off card instead of yeah, a yeah, desk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I, I think that's right. I think playing it on a TV is fine. I think um a lot of the RPGs you're probably gonna play on Steam Deck. And I think that's That's totally what I was thinking. I feel like chill. Skies of
0: Arcadia it'll be fun just to have handheld or something. Oh yeah.
2: Yeah. I think Shinmu, you don't need to play on a Dreamcast per se, and honestly, it probably benefits like from some up resolution on an emulator. Mm. But I do think playing it on a large TV is important because, again, it's so much about putting you into a place. Right. That I I think it would be a bit of a bummer to play something like that on 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 a, on a steam
1: deck
0: interesting yeah I, I from a little i played i i agree with that i i remember distinctly picking up a phone in shenmu and then having to manually hit the numbers on the phone and being like this rules <laughs> <Yeah>. yes <laughs> my other question is and this is maybe it might it, it might be a quick conversation it might be a longer debate but kind of what i said earlier about how late in the Dreamcast life a lot of planned sequels were then released for the first Xbox. Do you yes. think that we should consider games like Jet Set Radio Future, Shenmue 2, a few other games that were that were meant for the Dreamcast but came out on the Xbox? Do you think that should be in the equation here? Or is that not? Does that not no, count not, just because they're on a different console?
2: Yeah, not not for your final list. Just because that, like, I don't know where you would stop it, right? Yeah, like, right, right. With Gun Valkyrie, like, there, there are a lot of games that, yeah, it gets pretty tricky pretty quickly. And I think maybe having like a separate thing of like, hey, you know, here are the other things. You know, if you loved Dreamcast, this is our kind of top five non-Dreamcast Dreamcast games.
0: Yeah, I think that stuff might just come up naturally on normal episodes. Like, I, I would love to do an episode on Jet Set of future for example so that right. can just kind of happen organically then okay that's good to know
2: but yeah because there's a ton of that on xbox you know of dragoon goes on to be xbox stuff shouldn't we? yeah you're right well this is a good segue into number three playstation games ran better on dreamcast and you could play them do you know this <laughs>
3: wait no. oh
1: my god is that true
2: <laughs> That's amazing. I, I, this is this is not the cry moment, but I, this is the reaction that I was hoping for because I I had a feeling you didn't know.
1: I had no idea. That is amazing. Wait, so the, so what people were doing? OK, wait, two things were people just taking PlayStation discs and putting them in the Dreamcast and they played or were they doing that boot thing that you were talking about before and then putting in a PS1 game and then it works. Can you do me a
2: favor? Yeah. Can you go to our discord? Uh huh and go up to it there's an image of Sonic the Hedgehog that I sent you and I said we're going to have to talk about this oh yeah
1: bleen can you tell me what tell me what you're seeing yeah i'm looking at a i'm looking at a, a crying 3d render of Sonic the Hedgehog he's holding a flower uh, the petals are falling off of the flower and onto the ground there is a gravestone that says uh, it's a, it's a, i just want to mention it's a f- completely cubic gravestone which I think is interesting. Uh, And it says bleem on it. Bleem with an exclamation point. And it says April 1999 to November 2001. Long life. And and you you sent it to us and said, can't wait to try and explain what the hell this means. What if I told you that PlayStation games ran
2: on Dreamcast and it was sold commercially? (laughs) Whoa, really? (gasps) Bleemcast is a commercial emulator. Bleamcast that, that promised to play PlayStation games on Dreamcast and play them better. They would play at 6040 by 480 resolution. The PS1 played at 320 by 240 So it okay. is stark. Yes. Uh, they also added anti-aliasing and bilinear filtering. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's like so, markedly better. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, oh, and if you see screen comparisons, it is extremely noticeable wow so for me with my family as you know one console policy i was like say dreamcast baby i'm gonna get everything
0: all yeah. of the games so i can uh, play final fantasy 7 on the dreamcast and it will be better that's what you're telling yeah. me yeah wow oh,
1: steven uh, if you come everything. to that episode
0: and final fantasy 7
1: is your number one i'm gonna be so mad at you <laughs> <That> would, <laughs> it's actually final fantasy 8 um <laughs> So,
2: yeah, and, and the wild thing, even as a kid, I was like, this can't be legal, but it it kind of was, or it looked like it could be. So the way it was going to work is there would be thing called BLEAM packs, and BLEAM would release a disc that could boot up to like a hundred specific Sony games, and you wow. would buy like a BLEAM pack, and you could play, use this to boot those games. So you still would need to go buy the game, but then you could like boot it, and uh, it did not work out. The final release was, like, very small. I do believe these made it to market. You could buy boot discs for Gran Turismo 2, Tekken 3, and Metal Gear Solid. And the reason that things shrunk was I don't think because of, like, anything technological. Sony uh, took them to court, as you can imagine. And I think Bleam was actually holding their own. But it turns out when you have no money and you're going against a company that has all the money just being in court... Mm. Um, because you can't afford to like stay open or like pay the people who are making your product. So defense costs were just skyrocketing and the the cost of being in court against Sony overwhelmed the studio and they couldn't couldn't ship. (laughs) Very weirdly, the Blim, like the brand, got bought recently by a company called Pico Interactive, which you might have seen in the news. They were the company that brought Glover to Steam (laughs) last year. So I don't I don't know like what their deal is but bleem bleems coming back
1: baby Man I'm so glad back I, I turned dead. my desk into a standing desk so I could just walk away from this when it gets too absurd <laughs> In in I I think there are bleem boots available like online you can
2: you can now find some like rough versions of bleem packs um for so you could try this in theory at, at home the other surprise is uh sega genesis emulation oh worked on the dreamcast which at the time shocking like running 16-bit on a console emulated was super tough yeah so there was a developer that made a thing called the sega smash pack and it contained a kind of like a smattering of sega genesis games you can go back and play like the original sonic and whatever yeah in the game's files <laughs> There was a note to that piracy group that I mentioned earlier, Echelon mm-hmm. that explained how to improve the emulator so that it could run basically any game from the Genesis that you wanted. Wow. And there was a thing like and it, it was like, just leave me a note that's like, thank you, Uncle Sonic. <laughs> so so when this hack went out there was like a back and forth between like thank you uncle sonic as it got upgraded upgraded and people like how did they figure this out so fast they figured it out because the people who made and shipped the game left a file for a piracy active piracy group to find whoa so that they could quickly turn Sega, the Dreamcast into a Sega Genesis emulator. This is amazing.
1: I, I imagine so much of this was only possible because they made the uh, egregious error of including Windows CE on the back end. Am I am I wrong about that? I don't think so. Oh really? I think this is all just because of the GD-ROM BS
2: like wow it's just because it's so easy to put things into the system for the first time <laughs> right that the <laughs> fact that you have a means of lo- loading really whatever you want mm. is is just all that that much easier interesting one final video game break before we get into like the kind of like final stretch which is really two things
1: yeah our final fantasy <laughs>
2: eight uh- <laughs> <laughs> well no it, it, it's it's the most important game
0: mm-hmm.
2: sega gaga <gasps>
0: i have heard about this this is a like essentially like a parody of sega for the dreamcast right
2: yes do you know the
0: the general plot of sega gaga no inform me i, I saw a discussion about it in the discord and i added it to the list on backlogged but i don't know anything else about it
2: it is uh, <laughs> i'm just going to read the gameplay at the top of the wiki of the gameplay section Sega Gaga is a role-playing simulation video game described as a Sega simulation. Controlling the young Sega Taro, the player is tasked with saving a struggling Sega from losing the console market to their rival, Dogma. Oh my god. The player must progress through various Sega development studios and fight various employees, who due to the stress and pressure brought on by tight work constraints, have turned into mutants. The, the, the image next to that description is a picture of the main character actually fighting Samba de Amigo. Oh my god. In <laughs> like a Tron-like environment. And this was released by Sega. This is released by Sega in March 29th of 2001, which is to say the end of the life of the Sega Dreamcast. It is it is um it is the all that jazz of video games.
1: <laughs>
0: Yeah, it sounds like... Uh, do you know the play uh, Noises Off? Yes. For those who don't know, the that play is a three-act comedy. That the first act is the final dress rehearsal of a British farce. So mm-hmm. you learn like who the actors are, the characters they're playing, what this play is, the dynamics between both the characters and the actors. And the, the second act is opening night backstage and everything is going horribly wrong. And then the third act is like one of the final shows and at that point you know the play so well that like everything that could go wrong is going wrong. It ends with like three actors as the same character coming on stage and doing the same monologue. And it just sounds like Sega Gaga is like the third (laughs) act of Noises Off. Just like, whatever, it's over, here's this. (laughs) You know, we're not even going to try to make this work anymore. It
2: rules. There is not an English version. People have been working on a fan Uh, translation for a while. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can watch an entire playthrough with somebody translating it on YouTube. Oh, nice. I will do that. Honestly, probably just as good as playing it. It's a pretty direct RPG. Yeah. Pretty linear. So I don't think you're like losing a whole lot. But I think, I do think it's like a must play quote watch before the end of of this journey. I absolutely adore it.
1: Steven and I have talked a little bit on the show uh, after I finished Yakuza Kiwami specifically, that that game to me, while playing it, read like people internally at Sega rallying against the corporate structures of Sega. Like, if you, you, there is a Mm. lens by which you could view that game. That turns it into a a chilling indictment of what it's like to work at Sega and try and make a game like Shenmue or Yakuza within there. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering how much crossover there is between those teams. I feel like, I feel like if I was to look at those credits, there might be at least a couple people that worked on Sega Gaga. Yeah. I, I think that's possible. I also think
2: that just might be Japanese video game publishers because they like, Are so big. Like, Square Enix is in, like, I don't know, like real estate or whatever. You know, Konami makes, like, dishwashers (laughs) that you can you can put that stuff in a video game and nobody is gonna know Mm. you know it's like I don't whatever (laughs) I I only know our pachinko business
0: so right um, best of luck to them that might be why by contrast Nintendo is so possessive of their IP because they are primarily a video game company like their whole business is Mario and, and Zelda and all that so like if you if you have a take on their character That's not like fitting the moles. They're not going to allow that. Mm. Yeah,
2: I I think the the Nintendo point is spot on, and I think Nintendo is bigger than a game company, but they're a toy business. Right, they're a toy and entertainment business where a lot of other game companies got got into this are consumer product businesses, and you know that was the true. That was true in the U.S. way back in with like Coleco. Like Coleco stands for Connecticut Leather Company. You know, a lot of video game companies from back in the day started as consumer products that were just like diversifying it's just that most of them here died yeah Yeah. um we're in japan the they're now you know big name companies that we think of as just being game companies but in in japan itself like they're not perceived as just game companies wow
0: that makes sense um
2: yeah yeah um okay let's take the walk down down the final road the marathon is coming to an end we can see the finish line are we at
0: two or one Right two, right two. So the kind
2: of two and one are, are really there. You can't have two without having one, and one without two. Number two, the Sega Dreamcast is basically a test test drive for Microsoft's Xbox, which mm. we've talked about over and over and over. But it is true. Has a Windows OS, focus on network and online play, which would be the definitive selling point of the original Xbox with Halo. Has a huge ass controller. That makes zero sense and everybody laughs at. Mm -hmm. It has all of the same, like, games. Basically, what was working on the Dreamcast moves over to the Xbox. And it has Peter Moore, who, like, we haven't talked about the executive structure here, like, really at all. But the CEO of Sega of America gets fired less than a month ahead of the launch of the Sega Dreamcast. The guy he hired, his VP, is a man named Peter Moore, who for anybody who cares about video games, is like an iconic figure. And he becomes not even really the CEO. He, um, I think he's like COO of Sega of America in like May of 2000. Like that's when he actually gets the thing. So he he is running Sega of America during a launch of this console without even really being the official leader. And it's absolutely bonkers. And then the reason I mentioned that with regards to Xbox is he effectively runs the xbox game division um during it's like most crucial is this going to be a real thing period that's 2003 to 2007 and that's you know he's famous for getting the halo 2 tattoo on his arm and stuff so that yeah that's my number two and my number one is just peter moore I like. I don't think that you can appreciate the Sega Dreamcast, especially as like an American, without knowing Peter Moore. Mm. And like, Peter Moore is my absolute favorite executive in the game space. There's not like you know, there's never like a great C-suite person, but he is one <laughs> of the few like truly nice people. Oh, that's uh, nice to in hear. Space. Yeah, like super super nice. And and it's it's just wild to me that we we have this system right where. the the head of sick of america gets fired this one dude like more is like left to try to like salvage it his i know the the head publicist there is a guy named chase just chase full name i think he works at twitch now he's great um but just like this real like quirky oddball group out of san francisco that's just trying to keep this thing alive and it really has like everything going against it and has to put on a smile through all of it Mm. and kind of knows like what is going on but it's a rare moment where i feel like it worked out for this person like like i love that you know microsoft saw this and saw like yes all of these ideas are right this person is like basically as close to the metal as you can get to the blueprint of what the future of video games looks like and we need to like bring him on board and yeah he would run Xbox from 2003 to 2007. He ran EA Sports from I think 2007 to 2017. Right, and then he left EA Sports to run Liverpool FC. He only ran it for I think two and a half years. He won the UEFA Champions League, the FIFA Club World Cup, and the Premier League, oh my God. and won CEO of the Year for the Premier League in like <laughs> two and a half years, which is just absolutely yeah. hilarious.
1: I so vividly remember hearing that he was leaving video games to get into football like that like i remember i just remember the articles about that being like what the fuck is happening i had no idea that he went on to astounding success while doing that yeah it's absolutely wild so uh, there's like
2: before we wrap up and we have like a whole other thing i want to get into there's this interview that i found that like is the most like peter moore interview imaginable and i don't know how to play it on a computer so i'm gonna play it to you all Uh from my phone yeah And then AJ is just going to cut it in.
4: Hey there, this is Peter Moore coming to you from Santa Barbara. I'm wishing all of my friends at the Into the Aether podcast well as you embark upon this incredible journey that I just heard about to play all of the Dreamcast games. Um, It's been nearly a quarter of a century since we launched our beloved console and, and actually launched online gaming as a result and uh, it is so uplifting to me as somebody that was so involved in that period and so delighted and honored to be so uh, that its history and its memories live on and it's folks like you that are keeping that alive as we enter i think a different world of video games nowadays it's so great that we can recap all of those wonderful times in the late 90s and the 2000s when games were coming into their own, online was coming online and bringing us all together. Um, And it's such a a wonderful privilege for me to be a part of that. And I want to wish you guys all the very best as you play all of these amazing games. Cheers.
0: You did it. You made us cry. Um, (laughs) I can't believe you did. Did did Brendan leave? Brendan's gone.
1: (laughs) Oh no, I had to sit down (laughs) oh my god oh my god
0: is that what you and aj planned yeah did you did you get you made the thank thank you for making that happen that's so yeah oh my god i can't i honestly can't believe what just happened
2: peter is is like truly genuinely one of the like nicest and he got back to me i'm not i'm not exaggerating within 24 hours of me asking Like, um, got back immediately. Oh my god. So yes, I I, I figured there's no way for you to go into the Dreamcast without a send-off from the face of of the dreamcast this is is amazing
1: yeah thank you so much for that i like truly peter moore is like one of those people in video games that i i credit as like getting me excited about the industry outside of just like playing games like seeing him on stage getting so hyped about whatever it was that he was promoting at any given time whether it was like getting the halo 2 tattoo uh or the was it fake the grand theft auto one the grand theft auto 4 one is fake i'm pretty sure but But the fact that he even did the sleeve reveal again and there was a grand theft auto 4 logo was like on like just understanding the craft of the showmanship of being on stage and like revealing uh, like a, a piece of entertainment and media like that i feel like set the stage for so much of what we see now in in games presentations nintendo directs e3 summer games fest all of that like really, to me, stems back to what he was able to
0: do on stage. That's like an unreal, unreal <laughs> that that just happened. <laughs> I also, I mean, everything he shared was so meaningful in terms, I mean, I, I'm so flattered that two things stood out in that recording as I was processing what was happening. One was like his, his detailed response and sort of the importance of celebrating the history of this and also his laugh. When he was like, "You're playing all of the Dreamcast," <laughs> like, like he, he's, and that's exactly what I want. I want people to admire what we're doing, and also kind of like, this is also a little silly, though, isn't it? Like, yeah, this is also like maybe kind of a silly idea. Uh, man, that was so meaningful. That is one of the nicest things I've heard. Uh, about involved with the show in some capacity. Yeah, that's maybe the coolest thing that's ever happened on this
1: podcast. I think <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> that's gonna be hard to top for a long time. <laughs>
1: I'm I'm really
2: glad. I I've been really 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 excited to share it and I'm glad <laughs> it didn't disappoint. Should we should we talk about some final games of like what what y'all are checking out some stuff that I think each of you should make sure to check
0: out? Yeah, I'll, you you mentioned before we started recording that you like I mean we we talked a bit about what's on our radar, but you said you had some in mind for like both of us or or individually like yeah this might be a brendan game or a steven game i'm I'm curious whatever you have the thoughts yeah. on regarding that so i
2: have like a list
0: of a few different lists the first is like the like you just
2: kind of have to do it it's <laughs> not even that i think either of you like will like them they're just obligatory uh-huh is jet set radio which i think has yeah. become shorthand for dreamcast yeah you have to play sonic adventure one because it's the Sonic 3D game.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You have to play Ikaruga uh, because it is the definitive shmup. And it was the game that felt like it couldn't exist on console at the time. Soul Calibur is probably right there with it. Mm. And then I think you should find a way to play Quake 3 Arena or Unreal Tournament.
3: Mm.
2: Not because those are good games. Or even that you'll like have many people to even play in the lobby with. But because that was so unusual at the time. To have a game like quake 3 or unreal running on a video game console
1: right known so specifically for being pc games right 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 so then my like for both of you list i have
2: uh, some like real weird ass shit i I have headhunter which you have on your list um uh steven i saw which is like like a stealthy I don't even know how to describe it. Third person action game that has like the douchiest like new rock dude uh, <laughs> as its hero. Yeah, like uh, the the like real Stranger in Paradise
0: energy. Set I mean, in, yeah, light, we're just... we're in the year Creeds human clay went diamond, so like we're <laughs> in the thick of it, you know. Yes, yes that's, that's so true. And you know, oh my god. It, it, it,
2: it's weird how we talk about that so often. That album, you know,
3: it just it kind of follows us wherever
0: we go. Yeah. Um, Don't uh, jump scare the, us with a Scott Stapp interview next time. By the way, I'm drawing a line in the sand. <laughs> <laughs> the,
2: the,
0: Jesus. The uh, the other one is um, D2. Which, do you know D or D2? Yeah, so D2 is also on the list. It is, I think, does D stand for Dracula? It's a horror game, right? I'm not going to tell you
2: what D stands for. (laughs) I think you're going to be very confused. It, it's a game by um this uh developer named Kinji Eno, who um passed away really sadly back in 2013 very young. I think it was like in his 40s. Wow. But it is a survival horror game that is w- weird in a way that few games are weird. I I think the comparison that people made back then was like, "Oh, Twin Peaks." It's not. It is like its own deeply bizarre thing wow. and I cannot wait to hear what you all think about it it is messy I mean everything that I'm going to talk about here is messy right uh, but it, it it's it's interesting yeah the other stuff I have for both of you typing of the dead how's the yeah. Dead with typing very excited 18 wheeler American pro trucker <laughs> which is a game where you are a pro trucker uh, unlike a lot of the like simulation games these
1: days it is like a Sega arcade game version of that idea. This, this, uh, sorry, that, that just for some reason unlocked a memory, Stephen, that I don't know if you remember, which is you and I, this is like in the era where we're writing for another video game website, we had made a video about ET for the Atari where we were like, <laughs> is ET for the Atari really as bad as we think it is, et cetera, hey, et cetera. It was, it was like pre into the Aether, pre everything. And we were like, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, like we, 2013. Should, start, yeah, like we yeah. should start working together more. And we decided to get together to do another video, but we didn't know what about. And it was at the launch of, uh, um, um, PlayStation 4's cloud streaming capabilities and we decided mm. that we were going to make a video about that and just what that what that was like as an experience and the first game you and I played was uh Jimmy Johnson's Anything with an <laughs> Engine
0: and it was so bad that we stopped the video. <laughs> it was so bad that we stopped the video, and then I moved to Chicago like for the next week. <laughs> that might have been like the last thing we did until, <laughs> until theater. The the <laughs>
2: <laughs> that rules. Uh, oh, the, the, the other stuff uh, for both of you uh, Ill Bleed and Berserk just to see how violent games were at like at this point yeah this was the period where uh, you know again video games were not protected as like a form of art and speech mm. so people were kind of like flirting with how far do you go and it's gonna seem quite tame by today's standards, but I think it'll be a little surprising to you to see something this old that has this much blood and gore.
0: Yeah, I have Ill Bleed on the list, and I also have sort of the Berserk guts rage. Is that the Berserk game? Yeah, yeah, about? yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, it. Yeah. oh, it is. It is the manga. Yeah, yeah. nice. Hell yeah. Okay. I'm excited um, about that. And then uh
2: Samba de Amigo, because of course, yeah. Rhythm game. Uh and uh Resident Evil Code Veronica yeah, and Blue Stinger. Um Blue Stinger. Resident Evil Code Veronica, I'm just giving you the heads up now. Get ready to add some caveats about um yeah. <laughs> some choices that are uh, were wrong then and are very more noticeably wrong now um but that said the actual game itself is a really strong resident evil game the only weird bit is now that all the other resident evils have been remade it's a little weird to go back and play something that feels like a resident evil game Mm. from from that
0: era I, I played the beginning hours of it on ps4 and i played it a long time ago like on the dreamcast and i i know that that it was actually supposed to be resident evil 3 initially but then like nemesis was going to be the spin-off and code veronica was going to be three and, and then they flipped it at some point in production mm. um so it, code veronica is kind of like a forgotten entry in some ways
2: yeah yeah and and very much like a full resident evil game yeah, and then Blue Stinger, which is like part of these games that are riffing on what is a Resident Evil game at the time. Mm-hmm. Then I have my individual list for both of you. Uh, for Brendan, I have Techromancer, which what, I, what I, is long, it? short, uh, like giant mech rock'em sock'em robots. I think is what I've seen it called many All times. Right. All right,
3: is <laughs> it's,
2: it's, it's cool as hell. Bangayo, which is yeah also more mechs
1: yeah i really loved Bangayo spirits uh we played that yes. uh, for for one of our one of our uh compilation episodes so i'm, I'm excited to go play the original i've heard the original is great
2: yes uh spirits pr- probably better but they're both they're both very good yeah um choo choo rocket yes. and sega swirls choo choo rocket i think you've heard of yes sega swirls i have not and it was on pc and palm pilot at that time oh wow that's how you know it's good it's just a matching game, but I, I, I love it. It came in like a lot of like discs where you get, you know, like a few demos and they're like, yeah, and Sega Swirls there, the full game. Oh like, yeah. Well, full game, and then you play it and you're like, yeah. I mean
1: <laughs> Sure. Then the the only review on backlog for Sega Swirl is half a star, genuinely the worst puzzle game ever. Why did I waste my money on this?
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Man, that's heartbreaking. I haven't played it since it came out, but I played a ton of Sega Swirl. <laughs> I'm so excited to play it. <laughs> and then uh, Zombie Revenge and Dynamite Cop, which did you, either of you ever play the Die Hard game that was in our, Arca- like actually in arcades, not no. Die Hard Arcade. No. So there is a a game in arcades that was like a beat-em-up, like a room-by-room beat-em-up, but it was like 3D, like polygonal, and it was Die Hard, except... <laughs> Really all it had in common with Die Hard was your character vaguely looked like Bruce Willis and you were going up a a skyscraper. Otherwise, very, very, very different from Die Hard. I absolutely love this game. It was in Japan called Dynamite Dika and you could play it on the Sega Saturn. Its sequel, Dynamite Dika 2, they couldn't really call it Die Hard because the first one didn't even look like Die Hard. Mm. They called it Dynamite Cop and it came out on the Dreamcast, and it is a delight. And then there's also a game that plays very, very similar to it, but it's about zombies, and it's called Zombie Revenge. These are, next time you two are in the same space together, Mm -hmm. two of the first games that I would be like, get them out like get them playing together (laughs) both of them are like especially i think dynamite cop is like 90 minutes long (laughs) like stop hell yeah um uh zombie revenge i can't remember how long it is but can't be that much longer uh but they're both a blast if you take them for what they are yeah they they, kind of got ripped when they came out because spending you know 60 on a 90-minute game not not super popular Mm
0: -hmm. also i've been adding all these to the list in real time just so you in case you're wondering why i'm typing Uh looking around yeah awesome well now i have
2: steven i have have gear games and i think you have all of these already on your
0: list oh i'll double check yeah
2: i have egg elemental gimmick
0: gear let me. Wait, I think I might. You listen. do have that. On you
2: listen. do. I, I checked to make sure you did.
3: <laughs>
2: what is this you, game about? I'm, I'm. I'm not telling you anything. <laughs> You're gonna have to figure out egg element elemental gimmick gear on your own. Toy Commander, which is a game that lets you play as toys in giant open world spaces. So you can play as like a toy airplane in a like a a family kitchen, and you fly around a kitchen at two scale. So just a. One of the early 3D games that really understood the idea of scale and boundaries and like making you feel really small in this ginormous world that is both like familiar and alien. That's so cool. Um, Space Channel 5.
0: Yeah, that's on there. That's one I'm really excited about. Yeah. You gotta dance, baby. And then uh,
2: <laughs> Grandia 2. Because, like, nice. I, I, how, how could you not? <laughs> and then uh, my, my absolute wild card San Francisco Rush 2049. Uh, <laughs> what is this what if did you uh, do you remember San Francisco rush kind of like the no. 3d follow-up to the cruise in USA games oh it was like maybe? A
0: whole
3: th-
2: yeah yeah it was a whole thing and then 2049 was them being like man we've kind of run out of ideas what if it's in the future and your cars can like sprout wings now <laughs> I don't think this game is gonna be good put, like, hundreds of hours into this game. (laughs) Oh,
3: yeah.
2: One of those games where it just was playing with wackiness uh, in a genre that, like, was void of it.
0: That's the thing about all these games, like, even if the ones, like, even if there are ones here that we don't enjoy, they all sound interesting. They all sound like fun ideas, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, just, uh, I guess, to put a bow on it, my my personal favorite games, uh, Power Stone 2, Shinmu, Rez, Skies of Arcadia and Legacy of Cain: Soul Reaver. Oh yeah. Which yes is like a really excellent entry in the Legacy of Kane series which is now all but forgotten. Square or Eidos has like kind of threatened to revive it <laughs> many times yeah. and just never does. Um, I, I'm guessing that they've actually probably made it far into development a couple of those times. I think we have a story on Polygon about one of those failures. Uh, failure sounds mean you know it didn't, it didn't
1: come out. out yeah i think that's pretty objectively like they did they didn't succeed in their uh, goal to release a video game
2: yes i i, I just don't want to put the blame
1: on the devs
2: totally. often you know when
1: something like that doesn't die it's it's the money
2: um yeah. and then i wanted to just give a few credit thank yous to different places that helped while i was kind of checking <laughs> on my memories on a lot of this yeah if you want to know more about the sega dreamcast on YouTube, Modern Vintage Gamer, which yeah. is just a great follow. Uh, Classic Gaming Quarterly. Uh, there is a ZDTV, Gamespot TV, uh, Adam Sessler thing that I mentioned earlier. <laughs> that I wouldn't necessarily say is good, uh, but is interesting. <laughs> and then uh, uh, the channel Wrestling with Gaming. And then this is just for y'all specifically as you go through your season. There is a. Um, a guy named brian schmid and he has a channel brian b-r-i-a-n schmid s-c-h-m-i-d and does a thing called the dreamcast files where he is making videos of every game in oh. the dreamcast library it's like little video essays that are about like five to ten minutes long hell yeah and he's up to um 35 on them and you know i i think they're really helpful again as we've talked about not all of these games are great but they're interesting and being able to you know play a game and be like hey like I'm not really enjoying this necessarily but like what was going on here why did this happen yeah being able to uh, pull that
1: up for anything that you're playing I think this is chill this is one of the reasons I wanted to do the Dreamcast in general is I feel like so much of this show I mean, it, even from the impetus is you know we're only bringing games to the show if we like them or if we have something interesting or positive to say about them right I mean even going yeah as far back as our first episode about uh, Octopath Traveler 1, you know, you and I, Stephen, had a lot of positive things to say about that game, but neither of us finished it, and we both had some real criticisms of it also, uh, most of which got fixed in two. But still, like, Octopath Traveler 1, in some ways, feels like the perfect encapsulation of what we're always trying to do with Into the Aether in some ways. Yeah. And I feel like the Dreamcast and its entire library, like, almost everything that was released on it, is so squarely in that same wheelhouse of things where it's like, yeah, we're going to play it, and I, I think... Uh, A lot of these games are not going to be ones that I'm going to put on my like, you know, goat list, but uh, (laughs) they'll at least be like fun to talk about. And I think there's going to be a lot of really interesting experiments, especially harkening back to what you were talking about before, which is, you know, a lot of what happened on the Dreamcast is the precursor to the success of things like the Xbox and other console generations. I feel like so, so much of what's interesting about the Dreamcast is what became interesting about everything else that did succeed down the line. So just just filling in that blank historically, I think it's going to be really cool, too. Absolutely. That's right
2: that's it y'all we made it to the end wow, of wow. my 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 document <laughs> there's no more document left
1: can't thank you enough for even preparing that document uh really so helpful and so cool that you did that thank you
0: i wasn't i wasn't skeptical of it but i i am even more impressed by it now than i than i thought i was before we started so uh, thank you for all of this Sure, I I I'm just glad
2: that I can make use of my real shattered memories of having to get <laughs> a, an early Dreamcast modded so I could import Echo the Dolphin from the UK because it got released there six months ahead of time. Hey, you know what game you don't need to play? Echo the, the, the Dolphin. Echo the Dolphin? <laughs> yeah. It's um I, not good. <laughs> it's really I, not great.
0: Should I? Cause if I remove it from my list, we'll have an even seventy, which I think looks great. So. <laughs> I I think you're
2: I think you're okay I mean I could be wrong echo is you know an iconic Sega franchise it's true um,
0: I gotta make I gotta make egg time so see you in hell echo (laughs) 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 um
1: man I'm so excited to get started yeah so next step for us is to find dreamcast consoles on the internet to to purchase and uh and, and get going with this
0: yeah, I'm also curious, like, because I feel like in the lead up to Game Boy Advance, we had a couple games that were bonuses, like we did a bonus from other 3. Oh, yeah. And I'm just wondering if, like, because, you know, we're also not against talking about these games as we play them in the lead up to that episode. I mean, especially because I mean, if we're going to play 70 games, they're not all going to be on that episode. So it's going to come up, you know, week by week. I'm just wondering, like... I know we're kind of preparing for a lot of these to be interesting and not necessarily all time favorites, but there are at least five games here that I have a strong feeling about being like big for us. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if like which one and why will get its own thing. Mm. Um, and I'm also thinking, I mean, cause I, I think we often talk about like like one of our one of our earlier bonuses was all about game soundtracks and I'm just thinking about like if there is a bonus idea here for like if we did like a collection of the fighting games or something sort of genre specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this is kind of brainstorming, but I'm just really excited and I keep thinking back to what you said at the beginning Chris where you're like everyone says like they use Dreamcast or Dreamcast vibes and I did this too. Like when I said this has Dreamcast energy. I was thinking of Jet Set Radio or like one of the many stylish fighting games. Yeah. But I do think there there's not an intimate understanding of the Dreamcast on a mainstream level the same way there is for other systems. Even in just doing this one episode, I feel like I have a much um, a different perspective on the console than I did before we started. Yeah, same. So I'm, I'm really excited to actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: Soon when you say it feels like a Dreamcast game, you're going to mean ready to rumble boxing. And really know what that means. Yeah. I had that
0: for N64, Um, actually. Uh, (gasps) I played
1: that a lot. Yeah. (laughs) What a treat. (laughs) I can't wait to be like, this has big Sega swirl energy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is very Sega Gaga adjacent. Half a star. <laughs> uh, Half a star. <laughs> Why not waste my time with this? <laughs> Chris Plant, thank you so
1: much for being here on this episode. Thank you yes, so thank much you. for being so generous with your time. Uh, and your brain means a lot. Always happy to. Uh, where can people find you on the internet if they don't already mm. do that? They can find me uh, on the Besties
2: podcast, which is a podcast I do with Russ Frustick uh, and Justin Griffin McElroy. And you can find me at Polygon.com, which is uh, the website that I run.
1: That's true. Thank you all so much, patrons, for backing the show and making stuff like this possible. Really appreciate it. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode of Into the Aether, a low-key video game podcast. I don't know why this is more (laughs) formal than it's ever been. Uh, Is this the least
2: low-key episode I mean, I feel like that there have been debate recently about what is the most, the
0: least low key. I think the least low key was either the one we recorded today or cats. Um, <laughs> they're they're equidistant, yeah, <laughs> equidistant on the spectrum, yeah. Perfect, um, but it depends how you define low key because I think there is it, it, that's true. It's not a strict definition. Yeah, so.
1: right, because because I think. Uh, coming with an eight page document is definitely not low key, mm, if, if, that's, mm-hmm. if that's what you're referring to. I think you're right. Yeah, about
2: that. yeah, that's kind of, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah.
1: But in some ways, also the Game Boy Advance and Nintendo DS episodes are maybe also not low key in that regard. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like I think we prepared like, for an entire year for this one three hour
0: audio file.
2: <laughs> not, uh, wait, not it was low it key. only three hours? It was like eight hours. How long was
0: it? I don't remember how long that one was. Game Boy Advance? Yeah. Usually, uh, I think it's like, four ish the longest was games of the decade which is close to 10 but that was also that was recorded in several like like literally it was like 10 episodes in one file right um the longest we've gone just in one sitting was i think the most recent game of the year episode which was six hours (laughs) i imagine usually usually game of the year or system episodes tend to be between like three to five yeah um if i had to guess game boy advance
1: was uh, just under five hours wow excellent, <laughs> perfect uh, that was pretty wild yeah
0: this might have been a little shorter because we actually had more crossover yeah ds was four hours yeah anyway
1: yeah. thank you so anyway. much for listening we'll catch you later dear listener thank you again chris plant
0: thanks chris sure thank you everyone see you never give up on your dreams <laughs> there you go that's perfect <laughs> Swirl! <laughs> <laughs> Swirl? What the heck is this game? Why'd I bother playing it half a star?
1: <laughs> bye bye.
0: This is the day
3: you have trained for. The day you have studied for. Utilize your
4: superior skills. Your superior intelligence. Hey,
3: sit down, Roden! you. Do Sarah,
4: baby! Oh, you were one. Don't make me hurt you. Learn to defeat your ruthless enemy, Steve
3: of Hackensack. Ryan, you're gonna get rooted! Shut up, quadrapeg. It's <laughs> a so dream cast. It's thinking. TWG, the worst garbage, the online.